Anyway, Graham, it's a mystery. The internet, and I got to tell you, part of me sort of wishes that we could just talk about the internet like the old person that I am, the old person you are sadly probably destined to be. Uh, and then uh, put that I up. Would, I would, I would genuinely like to become an old person. Well, yeah. Are you threatened that I don't get the chance to become an old person? No, 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 no. Because no, that no, no. seems like a very bold and disturbing place for this to go. That is true. That is totally true. No, 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 no. I mean, although it would fit in with the tenor of the FF comics that we've been reading, uh, I think that no, I just meant more in the sense of. You will be an old person. You will not necessarily be the type of old person that I am. This old person. Yeah, (laughs) whereas I am definitely well on the path to becoming this old person and would like to become this this old old person. person. Is of course the uh, this old house spinoff. Yes, exactly. This old house and inside this old person. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's really sad. Um, um, you're just saying that because you don't want to talk about these fantastic well, Four see, comics. Well, see, that's it. I, I'm like, if we can sort of blow this out for 90 minutes and then just post this and then pretend we did talk about the issues and never, never really bring it up. I, Jeff, I've got to tell you, I, uh, a, I put off reading these as long as humanly possible. Right. Uh, B, I've read them twice today. Ooh, I wish I, I wish I had done that. I've got to tell you, A, they're terrible. I said this was the last time, and then we talked for three hours. Right. But B, I'm not sure if there's a lot to say about these issues. See, that's what I'm really worried about, is last time, if for no other reason than A, we read a dozen of them, and B, you and I were so split, it went a long time. This is only six issues, and I really have kind of... um, like I'd sort of read them throughout the week and then and then got to today and started rereading them and didn't get through the second time. And I feel like sometimes the second time polish. Because they're terrible? Well, see, this is the thing. Like, okay, admittedly, some of them are, are uh, how do I put it, suboptimal, I guess. But part of me is kind of... Yes, suboptimal is definitely a way of putting it. Yeah, but I I mean, that's my thing. Part of me is like trying to put my finger on what's so genuinely god-awful about them is kind of... I mean, if they were super, super terrible, I could probably eat up three hours on just ranting about it. Yeah, that's just it. It's not even like you can complain about them. No, You're just like, these are just like... These were comics that were definitely published. Yeah, yeah, and it's just lukewarm gruel. I mean, there are a few things in in there that it's a it's not a I like this sort of situation at all per se, other than just general stuff. Like there's stuff that I think these issues don't do well enough to really be interesting, but some of the things they're doing are things where I'm like, "Oh, I like this kind of thing. I don't like it now or in this context or this is probably handled so badly that I want to hit myself in the face with a bat but but there, at the same time I definitely find myself being like oh you know I mean oh, just talking about it wait 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 are we, we Jeff, should, again do the we're intro. still in the cold open yeah, oh we should God. do the intro right people do not listen to us to hear us talk before the theme music people even comment about how much they love the theme music so let's just for a second let them listen to the theme music. The 
Hello, whatnots. Welcome to Baxter Building episodes. I wish I could remember, but here's the thing. I honestly left my notebook downstairs before we started recording. It's episode 46. I, I'm, I'm, I could be wrong in saying that, but I'm fairly sure I am not. We are covering the Fantastic Four, the Marvel's world's greatest comic magazine, which is no longer even vaguely living up to that title. <laughs> We're doing issues 382 through 388 this time, and as you just heard, Jeff and I were talking about how these are are immemorable. That's right. I said Jeff because my co-host is Mr. Jeffrey Lester. Jeff, do you want to introduce me and we can flip it up? Oh, I suppose we should. Everyone, you're listening to the talented and charming Graham McMillan, my co-host and fellow explorer through the backland swamps of Marvel's flagship title, The Fantastic Four. Are we officially in the... The, the swamps now. I get, we kind of are. Let's be fair. I, I I pray to God that it can't get boggier or murkier than this, but it oh. probably will. You're like, see, oh, this it, is it. You're always like, just wait. It, 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 yeah, it kind of does. We're butting up against in these issues. By the time we we finish them, we're butting up against what I would argue is the the nadir of this title. Right. Before you get there, and you should yes. get there because it's what we're supposed to talk about. But I'm just curious, because maybe it'll help us uh, uh, amp things up a little bit. Did you read uh, Fantastic Four number two this week? I did. I did not. What did you What did you think? What were your thoughts? Did you read issue one? No. No, I didn't, because everyone <laughs> said... Well, so here's the thing. I would have, if everyone had sort of... Um, I mean, it was damned with faint praise. And honestly, this is, yeah, I quote unquote, the... Marvel's fault. If it literally had been like three ninety nine instead of four ninety nine, I would have picked it up for how faintly people were like, it wasn't terrible, but at five bucks, I just wasn't that into it, right? Well, issue two was everything you liked about issue one, but less so. Mm, great. Uh, it's kind of amazing that we're two issues into a new Fantastic Four series where the entire fucking selling point is it's the FF back together. And the FF don't actually get back together until two pages before the end. Mm. And even then, is it worth spoiling? Like, are you going to read this, do you think? I I think I am going to read it, but I also don't. Then I can I will not. No no no. Go ahead and spoil it because I really don't think that that's why I would be reading it. If you know what I mean. The first issue was an extended. It's Ben and Johnny missing Reed and Sue. Right. Right. Basically, what you've been seeing in Marvel Two and One, but to be brutally honest, without the charm of Marvel Two and One. See, and this is the thing that does stop me too is considering how much praise Zdarsky got for Marvel 2-in-1 and just kind of how much he seemed to get the characters and care about the characters. The fact that they turn around and are leaning into it with Slot, which sort of in a way makes sense, but at the same time strikes me as as kind of inept if you're not going to continue the tone of what the other intro book, which Marvel was all but blatantly saying... I feel they launched 2-in-1 by basically saying this is going to become the new Fantastic Four book. Right. You know, and then they didn't. And they were like, oh, but 2-in-1's continuing. And I'm not sure if it is. Like, Zdarsky's definitely leaving. Oh, is and he? And I, I, I seem to remember he said something along the lines of... Actually, maybe I'm misremembering. It's, I know he's leaving the Spider-Man book. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe he's not leaving 2-in-1. Mm. I want to say he is, though. Uh, I should say... 
A, I am actually a surprisingly big fan of Zdarsky's writing mm-hmm. uh, on the on like the mainstream superhero books, mm-hmm. and I had a chance to read his final Spider-Man issue this week. Mm. And Jeff, you should really read it. Really? Uh, I, as you know, I've I've remained uh, hot and cold, training towards cold and Spider-Man in general as That's a character. Right. Mm-hmm. I finished that comic being like, oh, I love Spider-Man. Wow, it's it's just a good done in one about like Spider Man's a good dude, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And I think his, I think Zdarsky's two in one has been really really fun, mm-hmm. and it has managed to play the I don't want to say tragedy, but like the the downbeat emotional tones of Johnny and Ben have been abandoned and don't know how to deal with being abandoned. Mm-hmm. And I, have you been reading two in one at all? No, because I feel like I feel like maybe only now issues are starting to hit unlimited. Although yeah, I, I want to say wrong. I want to say maybe just issue two or maybe just issue three is showing up on unlimited. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a a really uh, nice is maybe the wrong word, but I like the gimmick of two and one, mm-hmm. which is twofold. One, Ben and Johnny are losing their powers mm. because there's actually a genetic component that the Fantastic Four have to be together in order to keep their powers. Hmm. And if they're not, their powers start fading. Mm-hmm. And so their powers are fading. Johnny can't deal with the idea that Reed and Sue are dead. Mm-hmm. Ben has. Ben has, has, has come to terms with it. Mm-hmm. And Ben lies to Johnny mm-hmm. and says, I think they're still alive. I think they're still out there. Mm-hmm. We, we should go find them. Mm-hmm. That's the gimmick of the first like six issues or so of the book. Hmm. That they go around the multiverse because they're basically like they're out there somewhere. They're not in our universe, mm-hmm. so we have to find them. But Ben is basically doing it to let Johnny down easy. Mm. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like that comes to heads and yada yada yada. Um. So the problem with the the slot FF number one is that it basically replaced those same beats. Mm. You know, I read them for like a year at this point in two and one. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, what? Like, what? This, like, why? Mm-hmm. Either you read two and one and this is old, mm-hmm. or you don't read two and one. And so why aren't you starting by bringing the team back? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's a really weird thing. And the, uh, the end of, of Fantastic Four issue one is Johnny comes to terms with the fact that Reed and Sue are dead. Spoilers, he's already done that in 2 and 1. <laughs> um, but again, and again, that's one of the problems. Like, wow. It's literally repeating emotional beats. But uh, Johnny comes to terms with it, and then uh, a giant four appears in the sky. Mm. Right? And they're like, oh, they're still alive. There's there's problems in this, one of which Al Kennedy pointed out on Twitter, which is the way it's drawn, the four is going to be backwards to Earth. Like, it's literally a four projected over Earth. Yeah, right. But it would be reversed. Right. And it's literally, like, no one seemed to think about that when making a comic. <laughs> right? So issue two is everything from Reed and Sue's point of view, leading to the same cliffhanger, essentially. Oh, boy, that's, right? that's a drag. Super slow not as charming as they think it is it's just like it then goes into something that slot has done in the past in other books which is slot tries to do morrison Hmm. and it doesn't work and Hmm. so the gimmick if you remember the end of secret wars is that reed and sue and the future foundation and franklin and valeria are recreating the multiverse right because 
Franklin has godlike powers, mm-hmm. and they're with the Molecule Man, and the mole- and, and the gimmick is set up in FF again is that Franklin creates the universe, and the Molecule Man helps him stabilize it. Mm-hmm. Right? And they're just doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this, and so they're jumping between universes, and they get to the point where Franklin can't create any more universes, and Reed's like, "Huh? Guess your powers all used up." Mm-hmm. And at which point a villain shows up who's called, like, the Griever of Worlds or something like that. Mm-hmm. The Griever of something. And she immediately, like, is like, Molecule Man, I'm more powerful than you! And, like, hits him. And they're like, how could he, they do that to the Molecule Man? And it's, it's like, it's literally Morrison of Zenith era. Where literally it's like, you are all-powerful. I have beaten you up. I am therefore more all-powerful. All <laughs> but we will say this in dialogue. Yes. Right? And you're like, yeesh. This is a problem. And then they go for a chase through the multiverse. Mm. And again, it's like Slot, you know, looked at multiversity and was like, how can I do this a bit more boringly? Because <laughs> um, it is, it's a double page spread. And it's like here, like multiverse is in, in like vertical panels. Mm-hmm. And yet the ship blowing through it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Phew. and again, the dialogue's like, I am chasing you through the multiverse. <laughs> She's chasing us through the multiverse. She must be very powerful. Um, and then like she's it, there's I mean the the kerfuffle is ridiculous. It's basically she catches up with them, and she knocks Franklin out. And then when Franklin wakes up, she's defeated everyone else. Mm-hmm. And Reed's like, no, if you were truly powerful, you would know that you could defeat us off our turf, but not on our turf. If the rest of the Fantastic Four was here, then you wouldn't be able to defeat us. And she's like, I'll create a machine to make you get the rest of the Fantastic Four. Then, Aha! wow, right. Mm. Right, mm-hmm. uh, but the unfortunate thing is, again, this is a Fantastic Four title, which is relaunched with the idea of you've not seen the FF together for so long. Wouldn't it be great to see the FF together? Right. So three pages before the end, she's like, "I will get you." No, she doesn't even say. It. She's like, "I will get you." Need them or something, and Reed says, "Is like, aha, little does she know? I'm really good with computers. I've reprogrammed it." And so it cuts back to Earth, and you see Ben and Johnny go, it's a four in the sky! And then they disappear. And they're suddenly on this alien planet, and they're like, hey, stretch And then they're like, but it's not just us! And the last page is, it's everyone who's ever been in the Fantastic Four. Oh, God. No. But the problem... Exactly. That's not the book... That's not the book you want to read. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're saying this is a Fantastic Four comic, and what you want to read in the Fantastic Four comics, the Fantastic Four, you don't end your second issue going, and it's not even really the Fantastic Four yet. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, right. People saying, might get the Fantastic Four as the Fantastic Four by issue four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, which is like, that's not a good way to end your second issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not. I mean, I sort of wonder if Slot's playing some sort of... Uh, he, you know, because he's he's riffing. He may what he may decide by the end of this is very much making the case for why, you know. And this is his high concept pitch: is is that the what we think of as the Fantastic Four has very rarely been the Fantastic Four. You know, as you as as we know from the fact that we are you know, crazily high up in the issues now, the 380s or something. And uh, 
this is not spoilers because it happened at the end of our last uh, podcast. Reed Richards is apparently dead, and you have three members of the FF, uh, the, the original team. And and I was I actually had this weird thought, like the thought that one has when one's been doing a, a podcast for several years and probably not paying as close attention as he should. It was like. Has Johnny ever been off the team? Like, there's been situations no. where he always, like, there might be a, oh, he threatens to quit, or it's like, oh, hey, it's him and Wyatt Wingfoot in their magic bubble machine looking for Johnny's girlfriend, you know, but he doesn't quit the team for that. You know what I mean? Like, he's always part of the FF. The FF are just sort of doing their own things for those issues. He's the only member of the team that is not, like, Bowed yeah, out, but you right? can't you can't take anyone off the team at this point. If your book is like it's a Fantastic Four, you've been missing them for years. Oh, sure. You can't then you can't by issue five go, and one of them has to leave. Well, no, no, of course not. But I mean, I just I think that you know for whatever reason, either slot's going to go with this pivot or and then pivot back, or because of course we're only going to get what we're going to get. But I can also see him being like. Like you said, if he's ripping off Morrison, it's like, oh, you know, Fantastic Four Incorporated, you know, or, you know, it's whatever the hell he's going to do, which seems like the sort of thing that that people, when they're trying to run up against the idea of like the FF and how to do the FF, there's a little bit of the, well, let's do, uh, do again, like the fans, the, the, the four foundation or, you know, things like yeah, that, yeah. you know, there's sort of this idea of. And again, the the FF I think are 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 a, the Fantastic Four themselves are such a really difficult team. Like you know, as we're realizing, reading 380 issues and the number of ones that sort of make it into the it was good, you know. Yeah, category. exactly. Like the the pantheon of actually good Fantastic Four stories. Yeah, is minimal. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not large for a book that has been publishing for a long long time and so you really find yourself being like maybe you know maybe there's a little bit of the the optical illusion with the ff where it's like they sort of look great out of the corner of your eye but if you pay attention to them for any sort of extended period of time you've got to have a very good idea of who the fantastic four are in order to make a good fantastic four comic and what is concerning to me question mark is that I think Slot thinks that he does, yeah. but based on these two issues, he really doesn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's one of those, I don't know, I mean, it wasn't the first issue, like the best-selling comic of of, right. uh, of uh, August? I, yeah. I think it was. It was the best-selling so, book of the month, yeah. At least I two mean, retailers. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see how that lasts. Mm -hmm. But if Slot can make the FF like one of Marvel's top-selling books... Mm -hmm. I guess more power to him. It's just that in much the same way that like, and I liked Slot Spider-Man, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really necessarily seem like Spider-Man. Oh, I, I, you know I mean? like right. Slot Spider-Man was almost entirely plays on the concept of Spider-Man and never actually playing the concept straight. Yeah. Right. And I, I would not be surprised if his FF ends up being the same thing. Well, the thing that is interesting and, and what's fascinating to me, I don't want to get too far off the, the chart here, but uh, I read a certain third issue of a DC comic by a formerly prominent Marvel creator, uh, and I just thought it 
was pretty shitty. And I was like, this is a really, oh, really? bad. Yeah, it's the... Uh, I, I like just... Vomiting Batman. Vomiting Batman, sure, for a panel. I mean, you can always count on Bendis for like but that, but two or three like... panels. I, I like... I guess I still like the 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 playfulness of the like the the Adam Strange joke is a great joke. Yeah, it's it it's it is it is a good joke. My problem though, Graham, is between the end of issue two to the end of issue three. Oh, like almost nothing has happened. Exactly, but, Jeff. Between the end of issue one and the end of issue three. Well, but that's the problem. Is is like we're not supposed to. This isn't supposed to be Zeno's paradox, the comic book. You know what I mean? Like this is fucking supposed to be. Uh, and especially because I felt like Man of Steel almost hustled too quickly through some of its some of its story in a way. I was like, oh, okay, there's a there's gonna be a, there's a he's he realizes he's gonna try and change things up. And I just found by this that particularly that third issue where it was like it's it's a little too much Bendis being like I get to take all the like kind of like oh. It's like it's like watching Jay Leno run around his garage. You know, it's like, oh, I can pull this car out. You know, so hearing you talk about the the pacing for FF one and two, it sounds it sounds pretty glacial. Uh, it sounds very Bendis like. And the thing that sort of surprises me is is that kind of like you said, slot Spider Man took a lot of. Um, Liberties. Liberties. He had sort of a very idiosyncratic concept on like just about it seemed like kind of not every aspect of the Spider-Man mythos, but there was a lot of it where it was like, which is maybe part of the reason why Superior Spider-Man worked so well, because every time uh, Slot brought Peter Parker back in there, his concept of, of the Peter Spidey dynamic always seemed strange to me. And I'm fascinated by, uh, uh, again, dragging us further off topic, but hopefully to boomerang us back. Spider-Man is out for the PlayStation 4. I'm shocked by the number of people online and people I know in real life and how it also happens to be me who find themselves kind of going like, you know, maybe I'll just buy this and play this. Maybe, yeah. Like all of a sudden someone's like, what if heroin was a good idea? Because everyone's like, oh my God, it seems great. And yet, at the same time, there's a lot of people who are like, but what's the deal with Spider-Cop? And as you know, I kind of feel like if there's one thing that Slot really did, it was Spider-Cop, you know? Um, really? That, yeah, I think so. Uh, I, this this is not the time, sadly. Mm-hmm. And yet, we're going to have to dig into this in a way what? Okay. Yeah, we should we should swing back, but uh, all of which is to say, who knows what slots take on the FF is going to be? It, it's going to be it's going to be idiosyncratic. It's going to be his, but I'm just shocked that it also sounds slow, which is not something that I normally. Uh, well, in theory, with in theory, uh, I would not say a lot happens in issue one. Issue mm-hmm. one is a lot of. Uh, like you know if you haven't been paying attention here's where the ff is mm-hmm. right it's a lot of scene setting it's not even a lot of subplot placement the one subplot they really set in motion is ben proposes to alicia mm-hmm. issue two is a lot of new information mm-hmm. 
uh, it's just that it's new information that is almost immediately invalidated, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Right. Like, you don't go, what have they been doing? Oh, they've been creating new universes and Molecule Man's here and he's doing it as well. And like, you know, this has happened, this has happened, this is how the kids have grown up. If you then immediately go, and the Molecule Man's dead and Franklin doesn't have his powers anymore. Yeah. And this is not the status quo at all. You're like, okay then. Right. So, like, what's the point of this? Right. Well, and it seems like one of those things that again drives me crazy about Bendis is rather than you know someone doing a second draft and realizing oh I can just have everyone talk about this change status quo and it's actually going to be more imaginative you know imagination stirring than if I actually spend the time to lay it out then kill it clumsily then I'm supposed to move on from there you know like and that just that's one of the things that that also kind of throws me off a little bit all that said i'm really glad that you brought this up i i am glad you read the issues i sort of feel like you know people who like the baxter building podcast the whatnots have been really great about saying like are you guys you guys are really going to cover other stuff after you know the end of volume one and you and i are not really thinking like that so it seems like it's important yeah it, to... yeah we we are we are not i mm-hmm. think we can say that right we're when we finish volume one we're off the fantastic four train yeah i think so we have a whole new train that we're gonna get on that's right but but we're off the fantastic four train yeah yeah so sorry everyone yeah yeah i think that so so part of me feels like it's even more important i guess you know, like I, that's the other thing that I find fascinating is, is as a guy who read a lot of Fantastic Four comics in it as a kid, I have a little bit of the uh, I must I might have been a, a more of a Marvel. It's not so much that I was more of a Marvel zombie. I think that the period of FF that I was reading was kind of you know, because it's the cover band version of the FF, but I never saw the originals. It's kind of like wow. Yeah. These Schmeedles are awesome. Like I, I want to get all of the Schmeedles out. No, no, no. I, you know? I, I completely agree. There yeah. is that, like, when because I didn't, I hadn't read the the Lee Kirby stuff when I was reading like Burn, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. You know, and there really is this like, this is this is great. This is what the Fantastic Four should be. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and read the original, and you're like, oh, this is what the oh, okay, <laughs> right. I get it. Yeah, this is what the Fantastic Four should be. Yeah. Okay, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get. It. But it's it's. What's funny, and I this is this is me bringing it back to what we're supposed to be talking about, mm-hmm. is that like you grew up reading like Thomas and Buckler, right? Mm-hmm. And Pearls, and I grew up, yeah, mm-hmm. and and I grew up reading Burn, right? And now we're on to Falco and Ryan. Mm-hmm. And do you think there's anyone who grew up reading to Falco and Ryan and thought, oh, this is like the best version of this idea? I don't. The- because like, I think we did, for want of a better way of putting it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 honestly, I think that the the answer would have to be weirdly, of course. I mean, but and the thing that I think is interesting that I'll take a step further is the idea that if you if you were a kid who picked up the FF during um, Ryan and Defalco's run, you could actually think that it's a that the FF is kind of a book about like kind of a bubbling cauldron of, of change kind of like, I mean, there's, there's been a little bit, I feel like 
DeFalco and Ryan have been like flipping their own stat, even their own status quo has flipped two or three times in the oh, course which, of this. Which honestly is a problem. For oh, me. very like much. Like even so. even yeah. these seven issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we're about to cover. Yeah. Like they, like there there's problems with concentration. Yeah. They can't bring anything to an actual conclusion. No. No, 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 no. They can't. And it is. It's sort of a. It's a. Which again, if you're a kid, I mean, you know, we're also aware of the glory that is Claremont's X Men, for for whom the same thing can be said for huge chunks of it. And there's an idea of if you're in it, you're in it. And I think for me, the difference is is that, um, you know, from the time that it goes from Claremont to Cockrum to Claremont to Byrne to Claremont, you know, and Smith to Romita Jr. to Jim Lee to Wolf's Protasio, it that universe feels like it's kind of always blowing up and expanding, you know? Like it's always moving forward and when it turns around and loops something back in you're like oh holy shit that's kind of surprising but you're sort of carried along on that momentum of there's just more and more and more and more being shoveled in there and i think what's weird about this the the ff and the part of the reason why it doesn't work is it's a is it's really kind of a very small universe that that defalco and ryan there's not really much of a sense of it expanding it to me because it's just very much the like i don't know there's like it's the scrolls you know you, what i okay, mean you, like you say that and mm -hmm. something that came across in these issues and whatnot i swear to god we're going to get to these issues really soon is it explicitly references at one point fantastic four unlimited mm -hmm. right right that's where one of the plots goes yeah um it is leading into the launch of Fantastic Force. Mm -hmm. It's like the the line is genuinely expanding. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like there are literally more and more Fantastic Four comics at this point. Yes. And yet there is something about the stories that are being told mm -hmm. <laughs> that makes you think that the world is shrinking. Well, yes. And I guess, and, and that's kind of what I mean, because the idea is... You've you've got fuck you know you've kind of you you have like the scrolls you've got is Doctor Doom alive or not it's like oh the Baxter Building is fucked up like you're not really kind of getting into that really weird zone of it's not like the FF are suddenly like operating out of like a set of porta potties in us in the outbacks of Australia you know what I mean like it's <laughs> it's very much like. It, it it's trying to throw a lot more motion in there and so consequently it feels like there's not much attention being paid to everything but because it is sort of taking place at the corner of Lee Kirby Boulevard and Marvel Un Universe Expressway it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's moving to anything new it's, it just feels like watching someone run around the same four blocks but like faster and faster and faster you know mm -hmm. and and that's... It, it, it's such a, a, a weirdly like it's such a weirdly disappointing run mm -hmm. and these issues in particular mm -hmm. are especially so oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. do you I... not think so like honestly i was reading these comics and i was like 
I mean, what? In all seriousness, like, what can be said? Yeah. Because I, that's not true. There are some things that can definitely be said, but I feel like every complaint we've had in the previous issues, right, is there and larger. Yeah. And then they have all new complaints. Yes. Like it, it, it is progressively getting a worse and worse comic. Yeah. And by worse, I really mean more boring. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Exactly. Because it's really it's not quite at the realm of of entertainingly bad. It's I mean it, it is it's just it just really hits the doldrums. And also, I think there is something to be said for I'm I I am fascinated the extent to which. Uh, Ryan and DeFalco are co-plotters on the book, which, as far as I can tell, really means that, to me, it's like Ryan is plotting the book and DeFalco is, you know, sort of, you know, fixing things in post. Because I'm f- I, the fact that you have issue 381... Um, have the death of Reed and Dr. Doom and 382 moves into the prisoner of the scrolls uh which basically becomes the the pay, the quote unquote payoff of the long simmering payback the power scroll payback the power scroll and devos the devastator are finally after you know, dozens of issues. Seventeen of years. <laughs> yeah, three thousand years of threatening to double cross each other. Finally, something's going to happen on that front, and it, it's it's just a bad. It's such a bad move to go from, you know, uh, it, it's to like, Im- immediately. But but again, this that's what happens through all of these issues. Yes, um, and it is if it's not immediately apparent here, we're literally you should spend some time going oh Reed's dead. Mm-hmm. Like, like you should. It's whoever thought that that was a bad idea, and then instead they should immediately move on to mm-hmm. to the Power Scroll story is nuts. But you also see in a couple of issues time where it literally ends with spoilers, everyone. Franklin is possessed by malice, and then ignores that for two yes, issues. For two issues, like, utterly ignores it. Yeah, 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 yeah. and it is is breathtaking yeah it, it really is so so strange the fact that they are they're just like move on whatever yes yeah and that i think that's it there's a lot of the the thing that really bums me out is moving into 381 as you you know pointed out in the previous podcast they they are terrible issues but i also felt like there is a lot of hard work behind giving every like every character pretty much has got some sort of subplot going on if not two or three and this is the this is the area where instead of paying those off they just get shifted yeah they just get dropped in the most listless way possible you know And, and in some cases literally just dropped yeah like Sue's, I can't use my my uh, invisible force field because I I'm having migraines from it. Yeah, literally just disappears midway through. Like I think mm-hmm. the next issue. Yeah, like three eight three. Just just go. She's like, I've, okay, I've just got to push through it. Right. And she does. And it's never mentioned again. Yeah. 
Yep. And you're like, wait, that's been going on for like six months and it literally went nowhere. Yeah. And the same with the malice thing. Yep. The malice thing goes nowhere. Yeah. Well, it, there, it has to pay off in some larger way. I'm assuming like five or 10 issues down the road. Right. Cause, cause it literally, well, as it's presented, it makes me, that. what's that? God bless you for thinking that. Well, see, this is the thing that's really frustrating is is it it doesn't get handled in it doesn't even get handled well for uh we're just going to play it forward. Like it, it's it literally has people like Sue thinking, "Yes, after the thing that was in my mind that I can't even really acknowledge was not me, but was a oh look, shiny thing on the ground." It is is actually called an alien at one point. Yes. They right? actually refer to Miles as an alien. Yeah. And they never explain it. Wow. And you're like, what mm-hmm. the fuck is actually happening here? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm, then we really are going to move on to 382 and go through it. I'm going to pour water on your Paul Ryan's plotting mm. theory. Please. Because I want to say it's 387. Uh, no, I'm not. It's 388. 388, uh, DeFalco does not script. I don't know if you saw it. Yes, this. I did see that. And it was he's a different only script. credited as plot. Yeah. And Paul Ryan is not credited as plot. Uh, yeah, which is interesting. That is, you're right. That is kind of an so interesting changeup. I think basically what's going on is DeFalco is plotting all of this. Hmm. Well, and, and he's being generous with his credit. Well, that could be that. That I, that, uh, that would also make a lot of sense because I guess the thing that I, I'm fascinated by is, is how much foreshadowing, like Reed Reed dying, was clearly in the cards, and then it almost feels like the rest of these cards that were set up were very much kind of uh, oh, and we'll figure them out when it comes to it. And then there kind of got to be a thing of like, oh, okay, here's the time. Uh, I don't feel like it. Or maybe it is that thing because it does feel very um, in line with DeFalco's retro sensibilities to have him be, you know, like it, it's it's a classic Fantastic Four slash especially a Frightful Four story maneuver of the Fantastic Four get beaten by the Frightful Four. They're at their lowest ebb. Usually they're missing a member. And then what happens is one of the Frightful Four, you know, fucks over one of the others and then everything kind of goes awry. Like that's Mm -hmm. kind of a classic move. And maybe it might even be a classic move to do that after, usually after a story that's much more interesting, you know. And uh, I, I guess maybe that's it. I'm still kind of weirded out by the fact that I I spent these issues I'm I'm strangely uh invested in in the Johnny Storm Elijah romance almost dis- despite DeFalco's best efforts even considering what happens in these issues well no it, at this point as what happens in these issues gets more and more ridiculous. And again, that's that idea of like, oh, Elijah's going to have her baby. Like, oh, but no, she can't because she needs the MacGuffin. Okay, we've got the MacGuffin. Oh, here's the thing. Like, there's clearly stuff that's being plotted, but it's almost like, oh, here's a weird implant that looks like an egg. Oh, wait, here's her child that also looks like an egg. We've never seen anything like this before, but we can tell one from the other, and we're not going to mention to the FF, you know, like it was just kind of this. It's it's bad. 
It's it ah oh it's so it's it's all there's something about these issues in particular. Yeah. But let's be honest, these book this book has been going this very for some time. Yes, absolutely. There's something about these issues in particular yeah. where you feel that literally they're plotting it to the night before it's due. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, or or rather it's it it reminds me a lot of the second season of Lost. Uh, or may, no, third season of Lost. It's very third season of Lost. First two seasons, it's kind of like piling on the subplots, piling on the subplots, piling on the subplots. Okay, what now that you've got like your maximum boil, what are you going to do? Oh, we're going to start vamping for time, vamping for time. And it's like, you really weren't, you really weren't, you didn't have a master plan. You were just throwing bullshit at the wall, weren't you? No, 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 no. Oh, hey, look, new subplots. Paolo and Nicky are really important. Yeah, exa- exactly. Exactly. And it's it's very much with, with the FF. One of the things, that, like I said, what the big takeaway from these issues are I apparently, my peanut butter and chocolate is superheroes and romance. Like the stupid romance with Lija and Johnny, I'm like invested in it, despite the fact that every scene with them is about the worst take of the scene that you would need or want or anything. And it's, it's, it's bad, but it, and that's it. Realizing how bad it is and yet how drawn I am into it is very much a, uh, I, it's just a sign of like, wow, I must be a sucker for this. Cause this is being done very exactly. poorly. This is really terribly. This is really terrible. Why am I still reading? Yeah. I I found myself definitely there's a few points in this issue where I was like okay, where the in these comics where it's like the only reason why I'm reading is to see what happens next with Johnny and Elijah. That's about the only thing that I can care about in this book. And then the scenes arrive and I'm just like, oh, you know, we are not. We should say that we are really not exaggerating when say Elijah gives birth to an egg. Oh. However, we have uh, avoided. My favorite part of that story, which we'll get to when that issue comes, but let's just say that the egg is really not the best of it. There is there is something that is so much worse and therefore better. <laughs> Fantastic Four, issue 382. See, we're finally getting there. There we go. It's called, because we have, thankfully, the return of the really long titles, but most of it's in a caption box. Still stunned at the inescapable death of their leader, the fabulous FF, is total despair at the hands of their sinister scrolls when they are captured the plot is the new frightful four who i don't think are ever actually called the frightful four no but the new frightful four break into four freedoms plaza which has been like pretty much fucking destroyed but it doesn't matter because they're doing it through portals anyway and who cares and they come across the comatose body of sharon ventura who is now a monster you might think this is leading somewhere, and it is. It's leading into another comic entirely. Ooh. We'll get there in a second. Ooh. Cuts to Latveria, where Sue is amazingly, but not surprisingly, distraught over the apparent death of her husband, Reed, who has been incinerated along with Doctor Doom in the previous issue. Turns out, Sue has read a comic, and no one else has. And Sue's like, are you too crazy? We're talking about Doctor Doom. It's obviously a trick, a cheap stunt meant to deceive us. Spoilers, Sue's right. Yeah. Spoilers part two, that doesn't get revealed for the longest fucking time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Sue is entirely right, and everyone else is going to gaslight Sue into believing she's wrong. Mm-hmm. 
the Latverians are so upset about the death of Doctor Doom that they throw vegetables and fruits at the <laughs> FF because, of course, they do. The FF run away. They are chased by planes. Johnny decides, fuck it, I've had enough. I'm very upset. I'm going to destroy the planes, but keep the pilots alive because I'm, I'm, I'm a hero. And Elijah's like, I'm not a hero, but I, I'm trying to impress Johnny. So I will also zap the planes but leave the pilots alive because I am maybe a scroll, but I love my man. <laughs> they land at Castle Doomstadt because mm-hmm. convinced the Doctor Doom is up to something. Again, Sue is right. Mm-hmm. This is important to point out. <laughs> they break into the castle. They steal a piece of technology in like just the dumbest thing ever. Which is literally, they find the machine, and Sue's like, oh, just steal it, it's modular. Mm-hmm. And that's right. Like, what is what is that scene all about? Yeah. Don't worry, Doom designs everything like Reed, modular for easy updating. <laughs> what? Like, what is, I, 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 I'm sure I'm missing something with that scene. They escape. As they escape, it turns out that someone else is teleporting in to the castle that someone is nathaniel richards now nathan richards who uh it's up to dodginess basically they get back to they being the fantastic four get back to new york city and the remains of four freedoms plaza where sue says franklin you're not the future version of my kid if you were you would have saved your dad fuck you franklin frowns and you know he probably should he's wearing a head sock (laughs) Cuts to Lija and and Johnny. Lija goes into uh, pregnancy pains and goes, "Oh, oh, I'm pregnant, and we have to have a really important talk." And Johnny, instead of going, "When you say there's something that you've keep, kept hidden, then I must know what is it," instead says, "You can share anything with me anytime." <laughs> you know, what? Just take your time. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And Lija's like, "It doesn't matter. I need a thing." I can't give birth. I need a lacaroo, a special birthing medicine. Lacaroo. Yeah, lacaroo. <laughs> Our special birthing medicine. Our baby will surely die. Pybox Fire Scroll is, is watching this along with Devos and is like, haha, she's up to something. Spoilers, she's not. Right. Like, this again makes no sense. She says, I need a lacaroo. And it cuts to Pybok. And Pybok says, Lija plays games within games. She obviously retains our most devastating secrets. If she does, so do the writer and artist of this comic. Right. Because she seems to be telling the truth, given what happens. Yeah. Anyway, cuts to Ben and Sue. And Sue's like, he's alive. Reed is not dead. I refuse to believe it. And Ben's like, what a revolt in development. <laughs> Franklin gets attacked by, oh, what's her name? Huntara. Yeah. Huntara attacks. And then... I mean, I would be lying if I said that my brain did not switch off during those two pages. Oh, of course. They, they're having, like, I, she says things like, I strike for the preservation of the chosen realities. And his response is, why attack me? I, like you, I'm a guardian of the sacred timelines. True, she says, but you're also a disciple of the great traitor. Mm-hmm. To say that no one talks like this is an understatement. <laughs> these lines seem to have been written, like these, genuinely, these two pages seem to have been written to be the most obtuse it is possible. Exactly, exactly. It is stunning and how almost illegible these pages are. Mm-hmm. 
it, there there is a again it's it's fascinating to me my my theory is that defalco again is looking at what sells and what sells appears is to his eye to be impenetrable obtuseness and constant teasing of possibilities over an x-men um but this is it just at this point with the bloom being off you're like none of this means anything or if it does it's going to be dull so it just well that's just it like this far in because we are what 30 odds oh issues into this run wow uh, but you you've realized by this point that none of this stuff means anything mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like it, it, there has been no satisfying payoff for anything they have done so far you're right so when you're met with you know, just dialogue like, you know, the fate of the four who must be destroyed is sealed and cannot be altered. No, I will not desert my family to such horrors. I give you no choice. The bond we once shared was never meant to be broken. I merely seek the great enemy who would ravage this world and condemn the human race to slavery material. That enemy is far closer than you know. At no point do you as a reader think this is definitely leading somewhere. Oh, yeah. It, it, it because of every little symbol and portent that it points, it somehow gives the exact opposite impression. This is going nowhere. Be- exactly. You have you have no idea what you're what you're doing here. Yeah. Like all of this is here to disguise the fact that this is literally coming out of your ass. Right. Well, and there's also something that's very weird. Again, in the I'm I you know the that aids to the coming out of the assness is is they don't really even nail down franklin is referred to as a teenager here and the age of teenagerness is you know 13 to 19 is quite a spread sometimes he looks like he's being drawn yes it's true you know ryan like changes his age a bunch yeah it like between panels yeah on the same page right yeah it's kind of amazing so you know when faux angela pops up and starts you know jawing on about the bond they once shared was never meant to be broken it's just it's jolting and and just weird you know what i mean because it comes like a page after franklin looks like maybe 13 years old and then, you know, just because it's happening on one of the pages where he looks like he's now 26 or something doesn't really like you're just like, ew. And also kind of that idea of like, dude, even teenagers don't really believe that crap when they're saying it to each other. You know, like anyway, so let's let's not get um, hung up on uh, those pages because it's, oh, we it's clear that Falco and Ryan falling... didn't. <laughs> yeah, it ends up with them falling through a dimensional rift. Spoilers, they're not going to show up for the rest of the issue. Yeah. Um, because while Huntara has, has like fucking kidnapped Franklin for all intents and purposes, yeah. Pybok and Devos uh, attack. Again, where's Claw? Like, they were a foursome at the start of the issue. Right. Huntara shows up, takes Franklin out, Claw has just disappeared, right. and Pybok and Divos show up and kidnap the rest of the FF. Yeah. Yep. Claw then shows up afterwards and says, at last, the Skrull and his armored companion are gone. They have returned to the space of their unconscious captives. Why did Pybok and Divos not go, where's that dude who's, like, got the hand, but it's not a hand, it's a thing? Yeah. Uh, like, why, isn't he part of our team? 
Right. Where's Huntara for that matter? If they don't care, if they just show up and get down with the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Claw shows up and then says, with the Fantastic Four finally out of the picture for his own, for good, Claw's free to pursue his own agenda. Yeah. And it says, an agenda which is destined to be revealed in Fantastic Four Unlimited, number five, which means Claw, out the book. Right. right. Uh, Sharon, who he's staring at, out the book. Yeah. If you were hoping for some payoff for those subplots, tough. Yeah. It, it absolutely goes nowhere. But that's okay, because in, in deep space, Pybok shows up with the Fantastic Forest captives and goes, hey, Skrull guys, look who I brought. It's the Fantastic Forest captives and Lyja, she's a captive too, because I guess she's turned against us. You know, whatever. They, they look, they're captives. That's great. Uh, Devos, you're a dude who has quite clearly been untrustworthy. Are you are you down with this? Isn't this great? Aren't you excited to be hanging out with the Skrulls? And Devos goes, not only am I not into it, but I I like use Siri and I call it my my devastating spaceship, and it's here to fucking kill you all. Yeah, and that's the banger. Yeah. Yes. So it's it, oh right. Well, you should mention that the cliffhanger is that the. the uh, FF are sort of led through the streets and jeered at, and then they're chained in a uh, basement with all their powers removed. And now, of course, the whole planet is falling apart. And everyone's like, huh. <laughs> Everyone else in the room is like, huh, it sounds like a war above our head. We're all doomed. And Sue's like, no, this is great. All we need is the slightest shot, the slimmest opportunity, the barest fighting chance, and we'll show this world what it means to challenge the Fantastic Four. I just want to draw out here that uh, the world has not challenged the Fantastic Four. They've captured the Fantastic Four. So. Te- technically, the world is vastly indifferent. I would have to say that it was basically two dudes who like beat you with your own security system, and then they dragged you back to a place where like someone got a hasty parade to make fun of you. But in fact, and again, issue 381 ends with the the leader of the team, Reed Richards, dying, Dr. Doom, dying, you know, the closest you can get into the team, you know, is happening. Literally an issue later, the team's in prison and the scroll world is being torn apart. And you're like, well, I mean, I think anyone's natural reaction is who cares, you know, like. Who cares about the... I mean, not only is it like... It feels like the fifth time the Skrull homeworld has been torn apart while reading the fucking Fantastic Four, but I was like... But it's like, who gives a crap? And it's and the idea that you're even setting it up, like the, the FF are in a dungeon where their powers have been hand-waved away and everything's falling apart around them. And again, Sue seems like the only person who's read a comic book and is like, okay, don't worry about it, people. At some point, like, this shit's going to, you know, totally fall apart. We'll get our powers back and then save ourselves. Psych. Actually, it would be it would be kind of great if it really was the idea that Sue that the secret of malice was malice was actually someone who's who's read Marvel comic books and was able to explain like, everything to her. Reed is not dead, and right. also we're totally going to get out of here. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like ah, the insufferableness of an actual comic book reader in in the FF comic book universe. Like, or even just the idea that all this stuff's been happening so long, so repetitively that Sue Sue's the first person to actually achieve genuine sentience. You know, it's just like, don't you guys remember? This has literally happened to us dozens of times before. Exactly. This is like the seventh time we've paraded through the scroll world all in chains. It's true. We generally get out 
out of this okay. <laughs> exactly. I'm not even sweating this. So, yes. 383. Captured by Scrolls mere hours after watching the apparent death of their leader, Reed Richards, the remaining members of the fabulous FF must now face a world against them. Spoilers. The world is kind of too busy falling apart to really be against them. Yeah, the world is not against them at all. Mm -hmm. Like, a world that is kind of forgotten they exist would really be a more honest title. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so in the world of stuff really happens, but nothing really happens, it continues. Uh, the scrolls are running around as rubble and things get the... the you know, blow up on them. Devos, the Devastator, has sent his unmanned death cruiser to spit destruction upon the hapless planet, which is a really funny way to describe the scroll planet, really. Uh, Payback's like, fuck you, Devos, you totally fucked me over. And Payback's like, but Devos is like, yeah, sure, it's my nature. You know, the same way your nature is to betray me by bringing these guards to arrest me, which if you think about it is pretty weak sauce there devos anyway it's the it's the battle no one has ever wanted to see as the second rate super scroll who i have to realize his powers are still shockingly undefined like sort of yeah, started they, off being able to powers well aren't they i guess you don't see him do anything with them all you see is every once in a while he shoots like a blast of cold stuff and he can fly and that's really it. That's all you ever seem to see him do. So anyway, in fact, much of the later issue has him changing uh, shape like a scroll, which was one of the few things the Super Scroll really couldn't do, but apparently Payback can. Anyway, if you've ever wondered what it was like to see someone's off-brand Predator fight someone's off-brand Super Scroll, you kind of sort of get a sense of what that's like as they oh boy did i yeah right just very exciting there's there's scenes of them being like yes i i don't like you i don't like you either and then a few pages later you know i've come to like you i sort of like you too it's too bad that you know we're trying to kill we each have other to, like yeah this. we have to die yeah. yeah exactly meanwhile uh in the 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 uh, underground chamber the ff are like ah hey we're gonna yeah we're screwed we're not gonna you know sue's like no showing the type of true leadership that that you know used to get that term thrown around back when reed richards would just say stuff like shut up and pay attention and everyone's like he's so dynamic so so too is sue doing things like stay ready everyone it's only a matter of time before an opportunity presents itself we mustn't miss it. And of course, Liza is like, she speaks with such confidence, such courage. And part of me is like, you know, it would, it is kind of a shame that there's not going to be like a 40 ton block of, you know, concrete that's just going to crush in Sue's skull right before our eyes. Because it really is but kind that, of dumb. That, like... almost, that almost is what happened. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, she yeah. said that. And then the next panel is the ceiling's collapsing. We'll yeah. all be buried alive. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So, meanwhile, the fact that the squirrel world is being destroyed by the stuff that, you know, Devos has brought in, Devos was brought in by Payback. The scroll queen is like, okay, well, we've got to we've got to take care of this damn attack. Let's break out the stealth hawk, and we also have to defeat Payback, the traitor. So uh, Payback is basically super, even more pissed that scrolls show up and start shooting at him. 
which, you know, doesn't stop him from more or less like laying on the old ice blast on them, which gives um, Devos the time to basically like fly off, assume control of his death cruiser. And for whatever reason is basically like personally direct its assault, which it's like you're more or less doing by remote control. Like, why are yeah, you running but, off? Yeah, exactly. Like, it just seems to be doing fine now. Yeah. Are you worried that like it's going to stop? destroying everything because yeah. it's it's like everything's great right now yeah. Yeah. why why do you feel the need yeah yeah he's just kind of like hmm yeah i'm flying off and and really at this point again because the dime is dropped you're like oh so it's that nothing can e ever get resolved even this isn't going to get resolved neither of these characters are going to be written out they're just going to be have a chance to separate now, swearing vengeance on each other, and show up to Boris all horribly later. Me meanwhile, in the collapsed dungeon of the FF, the FF are like, oh, we're, we have our powers back, but we're under rubble and we can't see each other. What if we accidentally, like, turn on my, my flames and, and actually burn the people across from me? Or Elijah's like, ah, it's too dark. I dare not employ my laser blast for fear of striking one of the others, thus forgetting about the idea that lasers are actually light. And maybe you could actually... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, Things in there being like... I also want to throw this out. This out. Mm -hmm. Why doesn't she just shoot her lasers all the way up? Right. To, you know, create light because she knows they're not above them. Yeah, right. I mean, there's so much. W meanwhile, like things like, oh, I I could do something, but um, but yeah, no, maybe I couldn't. So it's all up on Sue who has to push herself like she's never done before, straining far beyond her uppermost limit. Ex it's Spider-Man 33. You, yeah. you got that, right? Yeah. Oh, of course. Of yeah. course, Graham, it's Spider-Man 33, but done, you know, in the Mighty Marvel manner in a page and a half. So therefore, it's like six times more powerful than the actual sequence, the original sequence. And uh, it's very much Sue's whole thing where whatever Sue's problem was, she basically just sits and squats her way through it. And in something that's truly miraculous, she manages to render all the debris invisible, which makes really no sense because then it's amazing yeah because the other thing that you see she also makes the floor invisible yes and you have this moment of well wait why did none of them shoot their powers down anyway right. yeah. they knew no one was behind was underneath them well a little do you know graham actually one of the things that has continued to haunt me are the poor prisoners in the dungeon below them who are still shackled to the walls do the FF free them? Fuck no. They free themselves. We don't know if they free them, to be fair. That is true. Maybe they did, and it was... You would certainly hope so. Uh, meanwhile, cut I back to... Didn't. What's that? I bet, they, I bet they didn't. No, I kind of think they don't. Like, this is not... That's kind of not how the FF play these days. You know, I mean, I think... Isn't this the issue where, like, later on, like, Sue, like... Or maybe that's next issue blows up a ship that could be causing problems and re and Ben's like, what are you doing, lady? Anyway, yes, whether or not the poor bastards underneath are um, ever saved or not, let's just say they're shown there and they look like pretty pathetic wretches and then they're never seen again. Meanwhile, the teenage warrior known as Franklin Richards battles for all he loves on a planet in a dimension far removed from throne worlds. Like, jibbity goo ga ba Sadly, 
not any less sensical yeah. than what's actually happening on the exactly. page. Exactly. Where is this dimension? It literally doesn't matter. No. Why are they fighting? It, again, that doesn't matter either. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, They're love. basically both uh, guardians of, of the sacred timelines. The main thing that we get to find out is is that, A, the, I think this might be the first time that Franklin starts getting called Psylord, which... No, he's been called Psylord before in this book. Oh, has he? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's just where I was like... Ugh. I think you've been blacking it out because it's terrible. But yeah, he's been called Psylocke before. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's just sort of... It's it's bad news. The whole, the whole scene, they continue essentially to exchange massive, massive amounts of backstory to make it sound like what's happening. Is it all interesting? And... Uh, also, it's backstory that makes no sense. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, okay, so... And we'll get there, because I actually am deeply confused about half the shit that Huntera is saying, probably because it makes no sense, but I want to run it by you later. Meanwhile, back on Throne World, the FF are trying to run out of uh, a planet that is uh, more or less falling or sh- falling to pieces and it, being it, shaken it, to it, its it, core and etc. It's et a world against them, Jeff. Yes, a world against them, which is why they're running through streets completely ignored, uh, Lija is, uh, basically needs her special scroll birthing medicine, Johnny blurts out, and they've got to get her to the space center, and they have to make their little, he's like, after I make our, a little side trip, but of course, the entire FF makes this little side trip, the side trip. Because they're family, that's yeah, what she says. That's what she says. She's like, that's not how we operate, Lija. the FF is a family. Now, th- which is, again... Coming from Sue Storm, who is, you know, just a flat-out crazy person. like Yeah, coming from Sue Storm, who the previous issue said to her own son, I don't think you're my son. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Sue Storm, like everything else in this book, is more or less saying whatever the scripter needs her to say at any given moment. So who knows what you're getting. Uh, Devos flies back into his spaceship and does not even notice that there's a strange winged creature that flies in behind him who's thinking things like, ah, I'm going to kick this dude's ass. Gee, I wonder who it could be, considering it's green and Devos just left a planet of green shapeshifters. It's really, it's a tough one to fare. It's it's page-turn drama at its finest. Uh, meanwhile, back at a Scrollian medical center, uh, the FF, um, you know, basically, as you do when entering a hospital, break in a wall violently and begin blasting uh, and um, essentially more or less have the ultra secret plan of talking about how much they want to find a lacaroo and a lacaroo and a lacaroo and uh, so that one lacaroo. of the scrolls is quite exactly it really does sound like an Australian candy bar doesn't it it's just lot, amazing or an Australian animal That's like, true or, too. Or, or a musical instrument you yeah. can imagine someone be like, just gonna whip out a little one of the play a little tune on right the lacaroo there. After I eat this lacaroo, after having ridden into town in a lacaroo. So, for people who want to know what Graham and I apparently know about Australia, it's apparently that every <laughs> single thing there ends in the word brew. Uh, and and it's no, all... I was gonna say you don't eat lacaroos, you eat tim tams. <laughs> and now I have maxed out. There you go. Australia. Well oh. done. Well done. Well played. <laughs> 
<laughs> two to one. Uh, anyway, so yes, uh, Scroll Medic is like, ha ha ha, we only have one Lakaroo present in this facility. I must hide it before the aliens arrive. Oh, silly alien. You weren't counting on an invisible girl who apparently was going to count on the master plan of only one scroll was going to run out of well, it's, it's, a combat kind of zone on their own. Like, I'm going to follow this one dude running away yep. on the off chance yeah. that he will actually say out loud, we only have one Lakaru present in this facility. Yep. I must hide it before the aliens arrive out loud. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Ah, oh, boy. And meanwhile, I mean, that whole sequence is so underwhelming. Even Sue is, like, busy thinking of the next subplot rather than this one and thinking about that, how steamed her clams are that the fake Franklin is claiming to be Franklin and that she intends to confront him when she gets back to Earth. And grr, look out for Sue Storm, everyone. She's still dressed like a Victoria's Secret model, so she must be evil. Anyway, she shows Not up with the long. can of talcum yeah. powder. No, I know. That's why I had to shout it out, Graham. You just don't understand how my narrative brain works. Uh, well, it's why, why should you? It much like Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan's. I'm pretty much just making <laughs> shit up while going along. Uh, so yeah, uh, off brand okay, Angela no. and wait, what? Yes. Yeah. I was going to say, we, we cut back in the end to the scene that like makes literally no sense. Yeah. The final is it the final scene in the comic? No, it's not. God, this comic really does go on for fucking ever. Yeah. Um, the the third to last scene of the comic mm-hmm. features Psylord and Huntara fighting, and Psylord, aka Franklin, is like, oh, "Okay, you keep on saying that my grandfather, who you also call Mad Nathan, has dark schemes, and I am his pawn, but who is the bad guy?" Mm-hmm. A Franklin is a fucking moron. B, Huntara's response is, read my mind and you'll know. And Franklin goes, oh, it can't be. Spoilers in the issue. He's like, I have to kill my mother. Yep. What? Yeah. Just to finish the issue, there's a showdown between Davos and, and Pybok and their ship disappears. And then the FS spaceship to go home. That's all you really need to know. But let's go back to this Huntara Franklin reveal. Yes. Antara has, for issues now, mm-hmm. been saying very clearly, your grandfather is a bad guy and you can't trust him. He's turned you into a pawn and you're going to do terrible things because of it. And Franklin somehow keeps on saying, but who is the bad guy? Well, because there, the, the part that's hard to tell, I mean, unless I'm misunderstanding your point, is there are... There are multiple bad people that the great traitor, a.k.a. Mad Nathan, a.k.a. Dinkum McSlinkum, uh, is separate from the person, the great enemy. So the great oh, I enemy. Oh, the great traitor and the great enemy were the same and they were separate from Nathan. No, 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 no. The great traitor is Nathan because at every point wherever there's references to the traitor, like, uh, that's when Franklin always says, like, my grandfather is no traitor and blah, blah, blah. But so when Franklin says, I'm no pawn, I merely seek the great enemy who would ravage this world and condemn the ra- human race to slavery eternal. He is not talking about the great traitor and and they're both not talking about Nathan. That's why but Huntera's why? weird elliptical comments are, you know, that 
she and, and okay, so the, if she know, but if then if she knows who it is, why is she so obsessed with Nathan? Well, see, and that's the thing that's bullshit is is that a the whole idea is is this idea you know Huntera is supposed to be this sort of rigid construct from the future in the sense of her part of her whole desire to like overthrow Nathan and defeat Franklin is, is that Nathan is a heretic to whatever they believe that being said part of what he believes is is that he can or or is trying to manipulate things so that the great enemy can be overthrown now on top of all this other nonsense Huntara and Franklin are supposedly both guardians of the timeline so I think the way that they're guardians of the sacred timeline makes it sound like Huntera does not want things to be prevented from happening, even though she knows that they are terrible. And part of why she is showing up to kick Franklin's ass is a to stop Nathan's plans, which would fuck up the sacred timeline if they work and B, her belief that it would fuck up Franklin because C, if what every everything is saying is the case, Nathan has trained Franklin because he's the only one with enough psionic power to kill the great enemy, which is supposedly Malice slash Sue Storm. The weird thing about this is Huntera is perfectly willing to more or less kick Franklin's ass a, because she quote-unquote cares about him, but B, when she comes down to it, all she really does is give Franklin the entire pieces of the puzzle that he was too dim to figure out himself, and then she leaves. Not only does she A, not help him, which she should do if she's willing to do what she just did, which is B, fuck up her sacred timeline by C, telling Franklin what the fuck is going on. Here's the problem. <laughs> the problem is twofold. Here are the problems. Problems, yeah. One, I genuinely think we're thinking about this more than they did. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm not exaggerating. I genuinely think even your description just there mm -hmm. was more thoughts in uh, uh, a continued fashion. <laughs> Than Tom DeFalco or Paul Ryan actually sure. gave this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, I, 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 I yes, yes. Two. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not even sure this plot was meant to make sense. Well, this is it. I, 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 think, I... I think that when they introduced this plot, it was not supposed to lead to Franklin is going to hunt down his mother. Right. Like, no, I think I... it's 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 literally them being like, ah, oh, fuck, what are we doing now? Sure, this. Yes. Right. No, I, I agree. I, I think that it's quite likely that my my interpretation is no more valid than your interpretation. And isn't in, and it's just basically it's all but, a, you know, a verbal Rorschach test of how many obtuse phrases Tom DeFalco can throw together and what you and I can assemble. But nonetheless, it seems a little ridiculous that the idea would actually be that Nathan was going to grab Franklin out of the time stream, 
you know, raise him in an alternate future and then bring him back so that he can expressly kill his mom. Because if nothing else, you would think that wouldn't the one person who would probably be the least likely to be able to pull that off, you know what I mean? Like maybe Nathan's got a, an especially dim view of his own mother and just assumes anyone's well, going to want to kill their well, parents. But also, but... like, if that's what Nathan wants to do, why didn't Nathan just kill Sue? Right. You know, he's had he's had bajillions of chances and opportunities. He's, like, he's literally already fought Sue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a couple of issues earlier. Right. No, it, the whole, the whole thing is uh it, it's 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 an amazing little con game. It's every single plot line that is put in place builds to a certain point and then it you know, DeFalco runs onto the field and punts the ball further down the line. And the idea is that there's going to be a payoff, but this of course is the secret of Marvel Comics in the 90s. There's all this stuff's happening and none of it is paying off, right? Yeah, like it's it's actually genuinely impressive mm-hmm. how little any of this shit in in these comics. And it it is I, I think it's you're right in in calling it out as a nineteen nineties Marvel thing. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you go back to the X Men books at the same time. Mm-hmm. The, they all learned the wrong lessons from Claremont. Mm-hmm. Which is, well, if you just, like, you can just consistently complicate plots as opposed to ever resolve them. Mm-hmm. Because, like, don't get me wrong, Claremont introduced 700 fucking million plots that he did not resolve. Mm-hmm. But he also did resolve plots occasionally. Yes, absolutely. Well, no, and again, it's like X-Men is th- is the worst in that regard. and And it's the people who follow after Claremont who also end up having success with that but look but also look at what's happening over in Spider-Man like I don't know if we're quite at Clone Saga level yet but the Spider-Man's Clone Saga is very much that or look at Ghost Rider which is one of the top books at the time Ghost Rider's book was notorious for teasing stories and actual revelations of fact and then Hunting those further down the field, you know, every five to six issues whenever anyone got close. That this 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 was the formula at the time. Was constant, constant, constant teasing and no payoff. And you know, I think maybe at the time, even if we were reading this, there'd be that idea of like, oh well this is all gonna pay off because I think one could make the argument that most of the stories in comics up to this point did pay off, you know, but, you know, through through our cynical jaundiced eyes, like 20 plus years later, it's pretty easy to kind of sit there and be like, this, these, who did they think they were kidding, you know? Well, the, the, but they were, they were, they were kidding. Yeah. Well, you know, they, the they were, sucks. they were successfully doing it. Yeah. It's just... Okay, let's move on to 384. Yep. Uh, if for 384, my enemy, my son. If nothing else, a classic title. Mm-hmm. A classic, classic title for, I mean, really a piece of shit story. <laughs> a piece of shit story that uh, I'm going to summarize in, in mere fucking seconds. Mm-hmm. 
Franklin attacks the Four Freedom Plaza. Uh, he fights Sue. Sue takes him. Uh, he goes into Sue's mind mm-hmm. to to find out what's going on. There's Malice. Malice is there, going, "Oh, me! Like I'm, 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 me! Trouble! Look at me! I'm really in charge of things. Me! I'm great. Your mother never realized how powerful you are. I am." And then the issue ends with Franklin taking off, going, "I am the great destroyer." And Sue's like, "Oh shit! I like I had a monster in my head, and it, now it's in Franklin." The end. And that's the fucking issue. Yeah. All else you need to know about that issue is that the Fantastic Four's new scientist arrives. He's been recommended by Tony Stark, and he is Scott Lang, aka Ant Man. That's it. I've summarized the entire issue. Well, okay. I think that this one has an even worse. Um, this one takes the the Johnny Elijah scene from last issue and doubles down on it because there's a two page sequence, like I said, as the only thing that I really is, am currently caring about. You have a sequence of Lija having a horrible sequence. dream in which Paybach yeah. is, you know, uh, chasing her and then blows apart Johnny Storm right before her very eyes. She wakes up hollering his name. He's he actually comes into the bedroom is like, I'm here, lady. Everything's OK. Relax. You're safe now. It was only a bad dream. And in one of the great moments of comic, are you fucking kidding me? She says, Johnny, there is something you must know. And he says, are you sure you want to go into it now? And she says, maybe you're right. It can wait. And part of me is like, really? Like, I, Johnny is... Yeah, jo- Johnny, like, Johnny is trying to avoid this conversation. That is my favorite part of this. Do you think... The- Elijah keeps on like has said for like two or three issues now Johnny we need to talk and every single time Johnny's like shh shh no we don't no no look let's just do it later no let's not have this conversation yeah let's like look are you sure look maybe you need a drink do you want me to go to uh, look I'll go to the store I'll go to the store right now yeah like that's that's the best thing that we can do right now you we should not have this conversation until we've had you know not just one meal maybe three meals what say we do this conversation tomorrow <laughs> right let's do that that's great every single time she says she does a variation on there's something i need to tell you and he is always like you don't need to tell me i suppose you're right i suppose the psychology is like I, he does not really actually give a crap or alternately actually, he's terrified is yeah. Well, the real psychology is Tom DeFalco has no fucking idea. Yeah. What the, what that story is. Yes, exactly. And that and that's the part that's so frustrating. Well, or even the idea of like, yeah. That anyway, for me, it's really a bummer because this is the issue where the Johnny Lija relationship uh, starts to turn because Lija, who's been keeping him out is now basically acting like she does indeed care for him but now that she cares for him it means she has to tell him something that she doesn't want to say and Johnny uh, again being the tool of Tom DeFalco uh, and tool probably used in multiple senses of the term is like okay don't whenever just you know let's you know let's not rush things so yeah my enemy my son but yes this is also the point where uh malice ends up being uh not malice uh or rather sue and malice are no longer despite what was originally said and taken at face value 
that Malice was Sue's repressed part, which seemed a little unbelievable, but everyone went with it because more or less Tom DeFalco just kind of said so and we moved on. And now when it's the idea that she is clearly not, as Franklin points out, the the actual, uh, you know, is alien to uh, Sue's psyche and uh, that Sue's been the innocent victim of this woman all along. Uh, and Malice is like, sure, I'm going to possess you. There's still the, so what's the answer yeah, to but, this? But here's the thing. Malice doesn't, this is again getting to the, they cannot fucking answer the question. Yep. Malice makes a point after he says you're as alien to the psyche as I am by saying, even if you've guessed the truth, and I'm neither confirming nor denying exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. Because they can't yeah. fucking make up their minds. Yep. It's insanely infuriating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's basically classic comic storytelling just done worse, which if you think that Graham and I are, um, I don't know, what's the word bored, multi, uh, and annoyed, you haven't heard us talk about issues 385, uh, and I guess 386. Um, oh, 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 because, okay. So yes, 384 ends with. Uh, Franklin flies out the Four Freedoms Plaza, is possessed by Malice. Yep. Right? And is like, I am the Great Destroyer. And Sue tells the rest of the team, shit, I was possessed by something. Yep. And now it's possessing my incredibly powerful telepathic son. Her last... So, she, she literally says, a monster now controls enough psionic energy to obliterate all life on Earth. So, yes. So, where do you think the next issue is going to go? It's going to go into them searching for Franklin, right? Clearly, right? No. It's amazing. And here's the thing. Sure, it's a crossover with Namor the Submariner as part of the Star Blast crossover. And we'll get to that in a second. Oof. But even within that, it doesn't. The issue doesn't even start with them going. We have to search for Franklin. It starts with they're rebuilding the Four Freedoms Plaza, and Sue is overseeing the construction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because she's got time to do that. Right, right. I mean, I sort of figured like, oh, okay, you get the Starblade crossover. Like, what you're going to do is open the book with the crossover happening and being the classic like. It's too important. This is this takes precedence, and then you know being in the middle of anything. But in fact, it is it's it's thirteen fucking pages before the Submariner even pulls up. It's, it's... and it's, and the subplots are absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. So you get three pages of Sue overseeing the reconstruction. You get the press rushing at Ben. Asking him, like, is Doctor Doom really dead? Including hilariously, after saying, will the Invisible Woman switch to a black costume? <laughs> Which is so great. Um, but also made greater by the fact that Sue is like, oh, you know what? I, 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 what, I, what's happened? I've been possessed. I'm so mad. I'm shattering things. I'm so sad now. Mm-hmm. Immediately afterwards. Uh, Alicia's moved is the ne- is the net subplot because, right. like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then cuts to Johnny is working on the spaceship because of course Johnny's working on the spaceship before they go inside and Elijah is understandably saying, "Hey, human doctor, 
I'm a fucking alien. Maybe you know nothing about my biology. Mm -hmm. The end. And then finally, 14 pages in, the Submariner calls and it's like, oh, there's a crossover you guys are meant to be part of. Yep. Yep. And... And then it still is like, hey, let's let's talk about things and point about things. And then finally it's like, okay, I guess we're going to have to go off as two different sets of teams. So, and I have to say, I read these issues admittedly fast, but I have no idea what's happening other than it, it's, it reads like bad improv, this crossover, you know? <laughs> It really so does. I thought, I thought, first of all, I'm going to read these these Namers of Mariner shoes to try and make some sense of what happens in these stories. Wow. There's a problem with that. They're not on Marvel Unlimited. Oh. And I thought, that's fine. I'll go to Marvel Wikia. Mm-hmm. And pick up the plot synopsis. <laughs> They're not synopsis there. <laughs> but I did find out that Star Blast is not a Fantastic Four Namers of Mariner crossover. It's a Quasar crossover. What? That somehow, it's literally the three series that it's part of are Quasar, Namor, and the Fantastic Four. Wow. you thought that in these issues where Quasar doesn't appear at all? Where I don't even remember being mentioned. Is he mentioned? No. Wow. No, he's not. Jesus. Uh, but there are these Star Blasters. I'm going to have to look this up again because I did look up the name of the Star Blasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jeff... If we'd ever thought, wow, the 1990s had some terrible, terrible character names. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, you ain't seen nothing yet. The names of the Star Blasters. Kodabak. Scar. S-K-A-R. Of course. Of course. Nygorn. Insidio. And Skeletron. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, this seems to be a crossover. The Quasar issue seems to be a crossover with the new universe. Yeah, that's because right. The Star the Brand Star is mentioned, Star right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Star Blasters is a, is a, is a Star Brand storyline, even though it's not <laughs> in the Fantastic Four issues. Like, I genuinely don't know what happens in these issues, and I've read them twice. Wow. Well, yes, because it seems like the ancillary part of, like, there... So, I have paid no attention. Like, Namor has got his whole, like, hey, I've grown my hair long, and I wear it in a ponytail, and I wear suits, and I'm kind of even more of a douche, but I'm, like, super suave douche, 90s style. I was, was going to say, there's nothing suave about this dude. No, I know, but, you know, the 90s. Uh, so, anyway, uh, yeah, so, as far as I can tell, Namer's book is, he's being attacked by a bunch of things with giant tentacles, and it's up to the FF to help them fight the giant tentacle beings, and the big cliffhanger is, is, like, there's an alien thing that attaches it to Ben's head, and he's going to be the one that's going to, like you know, destroy everyone in the sub that they're in at the end of the exciting episode that leads into Namor the Submariner, issue 48. I, I, I do love that in order to do that, mm -hmm. they quietly drop the fact that Ben has been wearing a helmet for the last, like, 10 issues. Right. 
Right. Like he just stops wearing helmet for no reason yeah. in this issue. Yeah. Apart from the reasons, really, how else can the alien take over his brain? Yeah. If he's wearing a helmet. If he's got that bucket on his head, so yeah, yeah. he has to drop it. And uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, if there's characters that you care even less about, I mean, you know, it's very much that idea of like, there's a lot going on with Tiger Shark and uh, the red chick from you what? know. Submariner yeah, issues I, I, of long ago. I was going to say, are they Submariner supporting cast characters? Because otherwise, it makes no sense. Because yeah. half of this issue is about like, oh, Tiger Shark's really upset, and there's Triton. Right. Well, you know, yeah. Like, what? Yeah. There, I, I Triton, I, I can see sort of coming and going, but definitely Tiger Shark, uh, Stingray, who we don't really see in costume, but who Namer gets to trade exposition with. And uh, Tamara uh, are all, you know, have in the past been Submariner characters. Triton is the one who seems a little like a little off brand, you know, and kind of I had that thing of like, oh, maybe this is a Marvel event that seems to involve all of their underwater characters. But that's clearly not the case. You just well, might... I, I, well I mean. As far as this Fantastic Four issue goes, it kind of looks like the case. It kind of looks like the case, but it does not appear to actually be the case. Because if nothing else, I'm sort of like, eh, there's a few more characters I think they could have wedged in there, I think. but um... There's nothing to this issue. It's literally subplots, and then Namor calls up. They split into two teams. Scott Lang is like, hey, I'm Ant-Man. I might as well come along on this adventure and joins uh, Elijah and, and Johnny. There's, like They run into various undersea characters Ben is possessed by a monster, and it's like to be continued in Namor. Right, and sure enough, it is because when you open up Fantastic Four three eighty six, like Ben's fine. Not a, the thing that's amazing that I just realized now is the Starblade Blast crossover on the front is numbered, and so I'm assuming it's, it's, by its part, right? Three eighty eleven, yeah, yeah. The issue before is part seven, Graham. That isn't that insane? Like it's not like part nine it's like there's supposedly three other issues in this crossover that are supposed to happen between 385 and 386 and yet the yeah, only there's a, thing there's a, there's a name origin there's a quasar issue and there's i mean i guess see there's got to be something else too let me look this there's got to be You're yet just... another issue yeah there's an issue of star blast the series uh okay so it's like... and then namer but get this so the uh 385 is part Seven. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. It says it ends by going to be continued in the Namer issue. Yes. Which is part nine. <laughs> well, and then it actually, 386, says a Star, a Star Blast crossover, which directly follows Submariner issue 48. And yes. it's part 11. Mm-hmm. So... So let's just say that there seems to be at least two separate stories going on in Star Blast. Yes. That do not interact. Yeah. <laughs> in, in any way. In any way. So Star, Star Blast is a crossover between the Star Blast series, Quasar, and Secret Defenders. Oh, wow. Namer, Fantastic Four. But wow. only one issue of Secret Defenders, because of course. 
because of course. I wonder why they've never collected this piece of genius. It's amazing, right? Because it seems pretty viable. You know, Graham, I can't even believe we're three issues into talking about the fact that Paul Ryan just flat out gave the FF like a Klingon battle cruiser, and we have not talked about it at all. <laughs> like. The whole thing where, like, the Scroll Queen is like, we must yes. unleash the Stealth Hawk. The Stealth Hawk is just a big fucking Klingon warship but that the FF commandeer. But have we not previously talked about the fact that Paul Ryan is, is ripping off designs from uh, Star Trek? Oh, what? I feel like I feel like this came up earlier as well. I don't know if we mentioned Star Trek. There, you mentioned Legion. He definitely Legion. Yeah, yeah. he definitely ripped off Legion. And it has to be said. Their cruiser looks. The cruiser right now looks very like the Legion 1970s cruiser oh, as well. Okay. Oh, oh, you're right. You're right. It's so funny because when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, holy shit! That's the spaceship from like, oh, uh, oh shit! What's it called? Fuck! I just lost Secret the name. Was- yes, by Dave Cockrum. Oh my god, Graham! Thank you so much. I was never gonna get at that. <laughs> I'm like, it starts with an S and there's a number. We're going to be here for Secret a long time. And I want to say there was a sequel series. I want to say that they, they brought that back in the 90s as well. Yeah, there's an entire miniseries. Wow. I got to go yep. hunt that up somehow. Uh, in 1998 by mm. Dan Abner and Ian Edgington. Whoa, that's a very 2000 AD-ish dream. Anywho. Yeah, and... yeah, getting back to the Star Blast crossover <sighs> that we are... Not interested in. We should actually say very quickly that the cover of 386 says the last blast before the end of the Fantastic Four. We are, first of all, 30 issues away from the end of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> Secondly, I'm not quite sure what that headline refers to. It's worth pointing out that the next issue is called Nobody Gets Out Alive. Yes. But even then, they don't kill anyone off. Well, you like, know. Reed, Reed has died. Mm hmm. Well, A, they're definitely teasing the no one gets out alive, at least on the letters page. Like, it's an event. It's an event that they've teased. And, of course, with the cover of 387, it's basically, uh, everyone's going to die. What bothers me is the last blast before the end of the Fantastic Four. Last blast is put in something, for lack of a better term, a Hanna-Barbera font that I find, like... Was that supposed to be like their next event or oh, it, crossover that no, doesn't end up being it's a thing? Super, super, it's super, super strange. Yeah, like the, the, everything about the cover of this issue is really weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then came despair is the name of the story, and that's a wonderful description of my <laughs> feelings uh, of reading this <laughs> this comic. Yeah. Let can we just first of all ignore the Star Blast part of it? It's, and say that yeah. the, the interesting part of the story is that Lydia has gone into to labor and yeah. is given birth. Yep. Um, the Star Blast part is, I mean, just utterly, utterly nonsensical and dull at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a subplot where Doctor Doom appears in Latveria, but it turns out it's actually Nathan Richards in disguise. Mm-hmm. And there is three panels. Oh no, sorry, it's a page. I, I, I somebody thought it was three panels. It's a page of franklin being possessed by malice mm-hmm. but but the meat of the issue even though it's maybe only like a third of the issue is Lija giving birth yeah and jeff you're the you're the johnny and Lija fan why don't you 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 take that uh, well i don't know 
don't know exactly where we we see uh, the doctors prepping for surgery that, uh, you know, Johnny p passes off the uh, lacquer uh, to um, to the doctors. And of course, what's great is they're like, terrific. We have no idea how we're going to use it. And later we actually get something which is Lija explaining it, which almost kind of sort of makes sense to me because one no, of the things it's absolutely terrible. Okay. No, 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 no. But I mean, I do have a thing of a apart from the fact that you sit there and think there's no reason in the world why the scrolls can't wouldn't can't or wouldn't be hermaphroditic. The fact that she talks about like they're shapeshifters, which is that idea of like I was like, why doesn't she just shape change into a big birthing canal? You know what I mean? Like there's no reason why scroll birth wouldn't be a million times easier except she points out that the trauma of the birthing process saps their mental control and endangers both mother and child and part of me is like i kind of almost see this if you have a shapeshifter so, who loses so Jack, control yeah mm -hmm. tell everyone who's not read this what the lacquer is oh jesus the lacquer because you're you're making an argument that this makes sense and I just want to undercut that by having you tell everyone what the Lacaru is, which oh, yeah. has been a MacGuffin for multiple issues now. Yep. Yeah. And so it's, it's all like they didn't know this was coming. Right. Exactly. So what is the Lacaru? The Lacaru is a special salve, which re reverts, uh, reduces uh, the, the, the mother to a near liquid state so that the baby can easily be taken out essentially and uh oh God. yeah that is now again part of me is like it's a salve that turns her into liquid that's like of all like don't get me wrong turning her into liquid in general kind of nuts yeah. the idea that it's a salve yes turned, like what happens if they only put that salve on half of her body does only half of her body turn to liquid no I know it's it really is just one of those weird. There's also, is the liquid her and the salve? Well, yeah, I know it's it's a weird thing. The other thing that also sucks about this to me is just that idea of like, how the hell did they ever like? My assumption how did you put is it away? How, how did you get it in in a container? How do you, I guess non non scrolls? like do it or they wear do, gloves well i mean it's part of me is like how the fuck do you have a species reproduce to the point that they can get the external thing that helps them give birth safely you know what i mean like you either how did they discover the lacquer well see that's it you th just like, think about it. it's, it's kind of that classic like oh man it's another one of those crazy scroll births uh, let's just start pouring shit on this thing, you know, or is it, is it kind of weirdly like, I don't know the flash's origin, but like way more vaginal detental where it's like, uh, Oh, like her, her crazy whipping tentacles knocked over this batch of chemicals into her thing. And she's turned into largely liquid and can, we can reach in and take out her fucking egg. Like, come on. Like the scrolls are just like, again, Part of me is like, I understand if you don't want to put any thought into xenobiology, Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan, but you 
you knew this was coming, as you pointed out. Like, this has been coming ever since Lyja popped back up. Ever since Lyja, we found out about Lyja, and she said that she was pregnant. Once she showed back up on the scene, but they're just kind of like, eh, okay, we're going to fake our way through this. So, uh, so amazingly enough, the, one of the doctors says to the other one, Doctor, I, I found something. The patient expelled it as soon as she was reduced to this spongy state, which is great because you literally just saw someone in the panel before use a sponge to wipe sweat off the doctor's face. And yeah, I no, can... no, that, that was actually, that was Elijah. Exactly. I'm like, oh, anyway, so she expels some kind of implant, which looks like a little golden orb. And they're just like, put it aside. We can't worry about it now. The baby's on the way. I can almost feel it. Pause. Oh, my God. And at the end, uh, the doctor comes out. Mr. Storm, I have news. And Johnny's like, what is it, doctor? Why do you look so grim? Which is great, because why wouldn't he? Like, what's the best case scenario out of this, Johnny? Uh, the doctor says, in all my years, I've never experienced anything like this. Which, again, duh. And then they roll out an egg. And what's great is they do roll it out in a little bassinet slash incubator. And it's a big golden <laughs> egg. And everyone looks really shocked. And part of me is like, I gotta tell you, you lazy motherfuckers. I understand that Reed Richards, Mr. Know-It-All, is not around. But the fact that you guys flew back and never once were like, I wonder how scrolls make birth bank babies how does the birth process happen we could check with any of our number of esteemed colleagues who have spanned the spaceways and surely must have spent some time talking about this nah, let's not you know like amazing everyone's completely shown up by the fact that there's an egg which just makes things goofier and so yes yes as the johnny elijah fan the only way that I'm excited about the whole uh, baby thing is the fact that the baby is out of the way. In fact, the thing that bothers me is as a dude who likes his romance, one of the things that very much bummed me out about the Johnny Elijah thing is, is that when she dies, there's, uh, you know, way back when it's this thing that she it's the classic oh, I'm the undercover spy who fell in love with you and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a lie at the end of it. And then when she comes back, there's a lot of like, I'm going to kill you. You deserted me and my baby just because you thought I was dead when I was dead, which is what? And then on top of which, at that point, both Johnny and Lyja have this thing that I do not like, which is the idea of like, this person hates me. I don't even know how I feel about them. But there are the, you know, uh, the, the parent of my unborn child. And therefore, A, I have to put up with whatever the shit is. And B, who cares how I really feel about them? Which is, um, you know kind of creepy and reductive and conservative and just sort of unfeeling. I'm much, I wish that there was, uh, this is it. I'm so starved for superhero romance that I can take what I can take this tragic love that I will get. Even as the two characters involved make it just the creepiest, crappiest thing ever. So I was going to issue a, a request mm -hmm. for other people to create good superhero romance comics. Yeah. Uh, to, to help you out. But then realize that Jeff, there's a page of that in here that we've skipped over, oh. which is when Sue runs away because uh, the, 
one of the aliens has been killed by by Tamara or Tamara or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she runs away because is she like is she disgusted or does it remind her too much of Malice? And Namor follows and goes, Susan, please wait, try to calm down. And she says, You don't understand. I've seen too much violence, too much death and destruction, the unrelenting stress and strain is finally getting to me. He says, You needn't face it alone. And you cut to Ben spying on them. Mm-hmm. And going, maybe this is exactly what Susie needs to help her start her getting overread. It was only a matter of time before she turned someone. Oh, who am I kidding? Just in no contest. Who would you choose if you need to shoulder to cry on? The handsome prince or the ugly monster? Yeah. What? Yeah. No. Uh, the, the whole – everything is what? so gross about what? that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the – the whole like, idea that, that where, Tom DeFalco is where like... Where does that come from? Yeah. And and what? Like, are we supposed to believe that Ben has... Who, bear in mind, has literally just gotten over Alicia before just getting over Sharon. Yeah. Now has the heart for Sue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, e- everything about that scene has classic, like, it was plotted one way and scripted another way, I think, because, or or who knows, because I haven't read ahead. If you to script it that way, you still could have had Ben be like, I don't trust Namor. No, exactly. You know I mean? Like, why do you then bring in the, why, who, who could blame her for choosing the handsome fish man? Yeah. Well, be- I am but an orange lumpy monster. Because I who, think no yeah. one loves the poo. <laughs> fish. I, but what? Who thought that was a good idea? Oh, it's the worst idea. It's amazing because it is as bad as that classic uncanny X-Men panel of Professor X being like, I can't <laughs> Where tell he's like, her I can I... never tell her how I feel. Exactly. Like, <laughs> big follow-up. Ben being like, ah, oh, I was sure I was totally going to pork Susie now that Reed's out of the way, but why shouldn't she go for the dude with the ponytail? And you're just like, gross. No, like, it's so out of character. Like, in, in, in a way that is, sure, it, you have... Um, ben make noises about the idea that that in the very first issue uh, of the Fantastic Four, where he's like, "Hey, you should prefer me to this spineless milksop," uh, but that's but that's like such an entirely different Ben. Like, out of hundreds and hundreds of issues, and literally decades la- later, like Ben, the idea of it, I have it, in. Like, it's just such a wrong character moment. It's just... It's ben as anything other than her big brother. Exactly. Exactly. It does not work. It does yeah. not ring true at all. Exactly. It just rings so profoundly false in it. It's like, there's just, like, just no way, you know? It Anyway, so yeah, that that is a gross moment. But yeah, part of me is like, sure... A, a superhero romantic triangle. I mean, as long as you can just like, ugh. I mean, it's literally like Reed is dead, and Scott Lang's like, wow, really? So this vagina has a vacancy spot on it, right? No, and it's it, it's kind of amazing. Like yeah. all the amazingly inappropriate Scott Lang shit, where he's just like, oh, so you're single, right? Yeah, widow, huh? I'm a widower. You know what that means? We've got something in common. It's her genitals. 
I mean, it's... Our lonely, dusty genitals. <laughs> it's But there is. There's this weird thing where, again, Rita's been dead for five issues? And you now have three different men right. going, hey, Sue's available. It's fucking appalling. It is appalling. It's appalling. Like, you could almost forgive Namer because Namer has always been like that you know what i mean like neymar yes. has always been oh. like so he's married but he's not here right now so all i'm saying is yeah well and, and honestly got lying is is nuts yeah and ben in particular yeah. is just genuinely what were they thinking yeah yeah you you really can't figure it out it, it but yeah no i agree the stuff with neymar is the stuff that's in character makes sense and is relatively well handled because it is very much in that in the in the namer sue relationship which is basically him being like hey if you want to hop on pop and she's like no but i need your help with something else and he's like okay i'm totally down with that too because i'm because i care about you you know what i mean like it's kind of like and that's the same thing you see here and she's i mean you know the fact that, that Sue is essentially kind of weirdly, um, like, a, me, arguably a little more okay with it than it should, than she should be. I mean, part of it is, is because she's like, no, you don't understand. He's, he's still alive, you know, which sort of makes sense. I mean, she's got a really good excuse, but it is, it is strangely, um, there's, yeah, it just does not really reflect well on Tom DeFalco's understanding of human nature that like a woman has been a widow for all of uh, 25 minutes and it's entirely appropriate for every character in the book who's not directly related to her to be like meh mm. hey oh. let's face it if Elijah was not in this book Johnny would also probably be like well you know we've always been close I mean that's almost as badly as like V.C. Andrews version Ben Grimm comes off. It's gross. Gross. It's super, super. It's it's not good, Jeff. Let's, let's just leave it as it's not good. But hey, there's your superhero romance. You asked for it. Oh, and thanks, Tom DeFalco delivered. Yeah, make it sound like it's my so, fault. Yeah. Oh, this is 100% your fault. Fantastic Four 387 is also your fault. It's, according to the cover, the world's most endangered comic magazine. <laughs> that is... Uh, I guess meant to be a reference to the fact that the issue is called Nobody Gets Out Live, but also really just makes it sound like they're about to cancel the Fantastic Four. <laughs> Which could be. That could really be what's going on behind the scenes, because uh, if you check out like one of these issues does have, if you're looking at the, the GIT core uh, scans, has the subscription circulation statement at the end uh, which talks about the fact that they are printing about um, the average number they claim is 287,433 copies 
of it and the actual number closest to the filing date is 226,500. So not only does it make it sound like they're down about 60,000 in terms of what they're printing, but the actual sales, even though they claim the average number of copies each issue during the preceding 12 months is 212,767, the actual number of copies of the single issue nearest to the filing date is 148,700. So this Which is, is like yeesh. is dangerously low, dangerously, dangerously low for what books at this time were expected to sell, considering they are a buck twenty-five. They're still in Seven Elevens, and there's more comic stores than than ever before or will ever be again at this point in history so um yeah it's endangered there might be a reason why all of a sudden it's like okay we got to up the idea of like not only is the not only is reed going to die but we're going to have everyone everyone's going to die in this massive storyline nobody gets out alive earlier on you're like has johnny ever left the team he did because he died oh right he dies up in 400, and it's it's a big deal, right? Or, I mean, 800 uh, or 600. What, 600. Yeah, the, the Hickman issues later. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. He's the guy who ends up leaving, and and way late in the game, really, comparatively. He's the guy who's really hung around and is defined the FF, which is kind of weird. We've still got to st- talk about Nobody Gets Out Alive, which I feel like we're reluctant to do because... In part, it opens up with the Watcher, which is never really a good sign because the Watcher is, as he always does, can't really think about anything about him about anyone else without thinking about himself first. And it's not that he's a huge narcissist; it's that the Watcher has supporting characteritis. So the very first thing he has to do is define who he is before he can go on to point out what's so important about why he's here and he is forced to he has said nothing during all the great events of the FF's uh, life that have happened you know since DeFalco and Ryan have stepped on you know the kidnapping of Franklin the returning of Franklin as a teenage warrior the death of Reed Richards while wearing a vest <laughs> All these things. I, I, don't, I don't know why you find such joy in describing Franklin as a teenage warrior. But I've got to tell you, the more you do, the more warm it makes me as well. <laughs> there's, there's, there's like this weird shared joy <laughs> in calling Franklin a teenage warrior. <laughs> well, thank you. They, I guess because it always strikes me. Every time I'm like, huh? Like, oh, right, he's not 26, nor is he, like, 11. Like, Exactly, he's been... not 12, and he's not 24. <laughs> exactly. He's a teenage warrior. He's a teenage warrior. And it's true. I got to say, there is something kind of great. Anyway, so, yes, Reed dies with a vest, but, but the Watcher thinks that there is... The remaining members of the FF are even now racing toward a most critical juncture. What kind of clothes will they be wearing when it, they have their almost ultimate destruction? Uh, he's very upset about it. Although it's his sole desire to alert them, he cannot. He dare not. Uh, anyway, so of course, in sort of this... Oh, no, no, wait, wait, no. You do not do that and not do the last two captions ah, in that panel. His sacred duty binds him to silence. 
the silence of the grave. Bum, uh, bum, bum. When you said, you know, the, the problem with the Watcher, uh, the problem with the Watcher for me is whenever he shows up, you can tell that the creators are trying too hard. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, no, I, I think it's kind of that deal of like the watch. The thing that sucks about the Watcher is the Watcher is watching all the time. And yet in sort of that classic way that that the people who write Marvel comics don't get it. You know what I mean? Like the it's like with Black Bolt. They never get Black Bolt. They Black Bolt is like the instant he speaks like he destroys shit. And so there's always a scene in a Black Bolt comic where he has to like let out a crazy scream and things blow up and everyone's like ah when I think for me the thing that would be cool with Black Bolt is the idea that he whispers something and you get that same effect. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like the oh he can't say anything. Quick, cut to him screaming. So it's like the watcher, we've got to show him watching at the most important point. It's like the point of the watcher that is really creepy is the idea he's watching when nothing's going on. You know what I mean? Like and that's how you really have to use the watcher of like all of a sudden he pops up while you're like putting on your pants and you don't know if he's like checking out your dong or if it means the world's supposed to show up and then you never find out because he won't tell you. At some point they retcons it so the watcher only shows up when it's important. Well no, and that's what I'm that's, saying. Right. They do that all the that, time. That's so the right. Problem. Yeah, the yeah. the problem, as you point out, is when he shows up, it means the creators are trying too hard, but it's also this idea of, like, there's something that's so unbelievably significant, and you're right. It's it, Not only is it sort of hackney at this point, but I'm realizing how much it really cuts across the idea, the strangeness of the Watcher is really supposed to be the idea that he's just watching. And so it would be great to have him show up, and you don't know why, you know what I mean? Like after after yeah. three hundred and eighty issues of him showing up, it is like, oh boy, we're gonna end up going back in time again to find out that you know because someone stole Doctor Doom's time machine, Hitler now has control of Alpha Flight. You know. In, anyway, so I feel like to get back to nobody gets out alive, we're supposed to have this huge portentous buildup, and then it's supposed to be alleviated by the fact that Scott Lang is chasing a prehistoric dinosaur slash roadrunner, what they call the roadrunner, around the Baxter building. It's supposed to be sort of classic FF hijinks. Yeah. Man, does it read flat. Oh, like, it's it's amazing. And there's even a, a like, Namor even makes a comment. This is how I always pictured FF headquarters, full of chaos and confusion. Right. They're trying to lampshade the, this is just wacky everydayness. Yep. This is what you're used to, a science experiment gone wrong. Yep. And it just, it flops. Yeah. It just feels like awkward and unconvincing mm -hmm. and all like all around bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 strange. It's really kind of like arguably you could say that it's meant to 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 sort of show the FF's growth that it's kind of like, oh, this feels strangely out of place and different. But that's not the point. The, the Ryan and DeFalco are playing it like we're doing classic FF 
hijinks, you know, maybe for the last time kind of deal. And it just, it's like, how can you, like, you've broken the book so much that you can't land, you know, a, a classic FF trope. It's very strange. Also strange, which we haven't talked about because it's in no way important, is the fact that Scott Lang has been in several issues of the FF now, and the colorist still can't figure out what color his hair is, and it frequently yes. changes from <laughs> it's amazing. panel to panel, I, if not issue to issue. Same colorist. Yeah. Right? Every wow. Issue. Yeah. Amazing. They It just doesn't know. I kind of think that the colorist really thinks that this is Hank Pym, which would make more sense almost. But yeah. So uh, more weird. We've got like, what? Did you ever figure out why like, like Sue and Namer are dressed like, I mean, I mean, he just looks absurd anyway, but Sue's wearing like a really impressively ugly outfit sue looks to me more than anything like murphy brown in this scene that is such a good call yes that's exactly right that's exactly right i would i and i i'm genuinely asking this because i don't know murphy brown was contemporaneous with this right i believe this came out in like 94 right uh yeah april 94 Mm-hmm. And Murphy Brown was that was when Murphy Brown was on the era. I don't know. I I gotta admit I should know, but I wasn't really paying attention. But I it am makes sense. It up right now. Murphy Brown, yes, ran from eighty eight to ninety eight. Okay, there you go. Wow, ten years. Woof. And it's coming back. No. Yeah, Murphy. Like, there's a new season of Murphy Brown starting like in the next month. Really? Yeah. With like the original cast. Yes. Whoa. That's crazy. That's crazy. So now we know what Sue Storm is going to look like when they finally bring the Death Force back, <laughs> back to the Marvel Universe. See, I, um, no, yeah. but, but she is. Oh, but speaking to your point earlier as well, Scott is like, oh, the reason there's a dinosaur running around is I've got the, the, the time machine working that you wanted me to fix. Right. And Sue like hugs Scott and goes, Scott, that's wonderful. You're wonderful. And then he goes internally in Thought Balloon, what a woman. She's intelligent, gorgeous, powerful, and just chock full of personality. I wonder if she'd ever consider, nah, why torture myself? Scott, her husband fucking died. Yes. Oh. Yeah. A, what, a week ago at most in, in terms of like story time? Mm-hmm. And even if she doesn't believe it, mm-hmm. everyone else does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why are... Why are none of them being like, you know, what a gorgeous, powerful woman, but she's literally just lost her husband, and I am a shit if I follow this, you know, yeah. thought any further. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Just crazy. I think we might be discovering that Tom DeFalco does not have the greatest gender politics. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, he's kind of showing that women exist for the pleasure of men in this comic or anything, but still. Well, no, I mean, yeah, very much that idea of like, it's absolutely because it's so consistent. It's absolutely 100% natural that as soon as a, a, a woman, no matter in what context that you've known her loses her mate, you immediately can only think of her as, will she be your mate now or no? You know, yeah. and it's just, like you said, just really weird and creepy. 
yeah, so there's there's there is so much again, we've got another scene with uh well we've got we've got a scene with Ben where he's like looking at his paper and he finds a picture of uh Doctor Doom and he's like, What? There's the possibility this picture's a fake, it's one of his old robots, or it could be an imposter, or maybe Susie's been right all along. In any event, we can't afford to take chances. We gotta investigate this site and more or less valid. Meanwhile, Lysha, looking in on the egg, comes across Johnny, who's also there to look in on the egg. They have a moment of sort of tender touching where um, uh, he's like, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Literally, he's like, uh, look, I'll admit that I behaved badly at first. Can you blame me? When you mentioned us, well, I was expecting you to have a baby, not an egg. And she goes, I warned you, scroll biology was different. You could have said something like, I'm going to lay an egg. Well, see, I mean, it's just, again, just that whole idea. And also, the Johnny was kind of like, uh, you know, she's like, I told you scroll biology was different. He's like, maybe so, but I was totally clueless. She's like, you kind of called one of your fucking friends. Like, you totally got, like, people who fly all around in space. And, like, you just never felt like calling someone and saying, like, hey, what's up? Does it pop out of the woohoo? Or is there a different hoo-ha that it pops out of? You know, of course, she's being all weird and vague about it, too. So I kind of get the fact that he maybe felt like he wasn't supposed to know. Anyway, after exactly. more she's scenes like, of we've them. We've got to play lacrosse. OK, Johnny, get the lacrosse. That He's would like, be the best. I mean, I, I guess it's just a, it like totally, a regular baby. It would do. <laughs> As opposed to like, you need to get like the special liquid that turns me into liquid so that I make an egg. All right. That's what that that's what the fuck is going to happen. I mean, uh... Yeah, I'm totally, totally... Anyway, so this time, there's the sequence where she's kind of like, I've got shit I'm supposed to tell you. Oh, wait, I hear both Ben and Susan calling us. And she's like, Johnny's finally, forget it. I'm tired of putting my life on hold. I'm sick of these constant interruptions, despite the fact that he enabled them out the yin-yang up until now. I just want to hear what you have to say. And she just says, no, we, we have a duty to see what's wrong. We mustn't shirk our responsibility. Of course she does, though. Yeah. Because what else is she going to say? Absolutely. She actually going to tell us what's happening? I mean, literally, on you know, we have a page in which we get to see Nathaniel Richards hanging out, like being like, I'm Dr. Doom now. And the only reason why I did this was to use a machine that will project my thoughts anywhere in the world. So I can get in touch with my grandson and say, hey, it's Pop Pop. I bought you a milkshake. Anyway, he's like, Franklin, the great enemy has almost come. You must make the necessary preparations. Which, again, kiss my ass, Tom DeFalco. Make the necessary preparations. Again, it's like, it's almost here, the great enemy. Don't forget to make the preparations. Oh, I won't. I'll totally make the preparations. Like, come on. You have to go get a Kalukara. It sounds like a Lukaru. But no, it's a Lukara. It's part of your preparations. Anyway, uh, Franklin's like, so much has happened since I entered this time period to prevent the destruction of humanity. I must update you. Like, what's Franklin going to say? By the way, I'm possessed by some bullshit thing. Um, and of course, Fra Nathan's like, no time. Transmission's already begun to fade. Why? No reason. No. Just my son will aid you. He's Got, the key gotta to our go. success. Gotta go. See ya. <laughs> Well, no, to be fair, it it does cut back to him 
after Malice does like a floating head thing yeah. to Franklin being like, ha ha, I'm in your head, ha ha, I'm possessing you, ha 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 ha, yeah. it, it then does cut back to uh, Nathan Richards, who for some reason is now fully dressed as Doctor Doom, like yeah. all the time in private, yeah, which is kind of awesome. Um, but it cuts back to him being like, I'm fooling my son, my grandson, mm-hmm. ha ha ha. Yep. So you know. Well, even the at least I spoke the truth when I mentioned my son. Unfortunately, I didn't specify which son. Part of me is like, what are you saying there, Nathan? Like, I mean, that whole thing He's like, he's like, again, this idea He's like, you have to make the preparations. My son will aid you now. Why wouldn't he say like, no, I mean, my other son, the one I haven't told you about, like, what do you want? Like, the manipulation there is just so bad. It's just, again, it's like, kiss my ass, Tom DeFalco. As if that wasn't portentous enough, on the very next page, they're all hanging out being like, what should we do about Dr. Doom? And Namer's like, eh, Doom, he's a master of illusion. Who cares? And then Sue Storm pops up, which is great, because here they are talking about Dr. Doom, Master of Illusion, a version of Sue in her old FF costume, you know, pops up seemingly a flaming apparition who says, Ben, Johnny, I saw them die. They're both dead. And what's great is everyone's like, what's happening? That's you. Johnny's like, this is obviously some kind of warning. What does it mean? And Sue's like, it's my fault the Fantastic Four is destroyed. Mine and mine alone. I led them on this fatal quest. And what's great is literally a sale forward. <laughs> they're, they're all like, oh my God, it's Sue. What she said? There's a fatal quest. It's a special time thing. Even someone like Namor, who's Mr. Like, I don't believe anything in front of my eyes. Like the very next panel is them being like, you know, oh my God. Like, well, well, what I love about that next panel where they're like, oh my god, is not only are they all like, oh my god, but Namor's taking his jacket off. Oh yeah, that's true. You're totally right. Yeah, he did that thing. They're like, oh my god, he's like, well, it's time, it's time to get naked. Yeah, he's totally, totally. It's like, I have to say, the only thing I've ever wanted more than Sue Storm is Sue Storm on fire. Now that I see it, I must have her. Yeah, he's in the process of stripping down and um, and it's just unfortunate. Anyway, speaking of unfortunate, it's back to Scott Lang. Franklin shows up and he's like, yeah, time to kick your ass, Scott Lang, which it's a shame. It's a shame that, again, because Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan, um, uh, you know, let's face it, Graham. This is this is the fact that I talk about Johnny and Lysha, but I admit it. The only other thing that I was thinking was when are Ant-Man and Psylord going to fight and <laughs> who would win in that matchup, right? And you, you know. don't even see, Jeff. That's the problem. I know. I know. Talk about, like, just stealing it, stealing away, setting up all these expectations and then upending them. They don't even bother to show Psylord and Scott Lang fighting. Um, I. You know what's so shocking about that, though? Sue's Murphy Brown-esque outfit actually changes in the next panel. That, oh, does it? Oh, you're right. No, wait, does it? Yeah. Um, it's a subtle. It's a subtle change, but there used to be much heavier black lines. Oh she's, yeah, you're right. Maybe she's made them invisible. There you go. Because she, because uh. she, she shows she she's so shocked. That was very hard to say. We cut back to the FF as they run in and find Scott waking up, going oh balls he, he fucking like 
Franklin Sylord fucking stole the time machine that I just fixed. And they're like, okay, we're going to go chase after him. Namor then is talking to Sue as she's changing. And while Namor's view is uh, protected by the screen, thanks, Paul Ryan, for then cutting to behind the screen. Yes. So you see Sue's bra. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, really? You know, the (laughs) thing that I think is amazing is... I think people who listen to the regular Wait What podcast know that I am apparently nine million times bigger a perv than you are. I cannot believe that there was a point where he was like, I'm going to draw Sue in her bra, and I'm basically going to draw it in the most uninteresting way possible. You know what I mean? Like, there's. Yeah, no, I, it's true. It's one of those weird things where it's like, it's amazingly non sexy and yet weirdly. Um, not even like an amazingly detailed bra, but for comics, an astoundingly detailed bra. Well, see, that's it. It's an astoundingly detailed bra, and I have to say, it's precisely as uncomfortable as I've ever felt watching my parents change their clothes in front of me. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing sexy about it, and it's very much kind of a, oh, it's a utilitarian thing. Did you ever wonder if Sue Storm wore a bra? She does. And the amazing thing is it's not one of those bras that crosses over behind the back, which you're going to wonder how it works when she puts on her new outfit, which is, you know, has nothing on her shoulders. So well, we say new outfit and it's pretty much like the outfit she was wearing, except they filled in some things. Yeah, but that's a huge difference, though. I got to no, tell is, you. It is. Yeah, actually, thank I, God. I, I, I noticeable difference. Yeah, which is uh, kind of a relief. But no, it's true. Like the, she is wearing uh, a quote-unquote traditional bra, which is to say there are straps going up mm-hmm. her shoulders, and then when she's wearing her costume, that part of her body is 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 not covered, and yet the bra straps are not there. Yeah. So maybe she's constantly turning them invisible. Oh my god, that's so great! She's like, now that I no longer have those migraines, I'm going to finally take care of my bra. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh boy! Man. So too from that Johnny like creepily smiling at the egg. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's all creepiness. The other thing that kind of sucks is that we've underplayed is the idea that basically uh, Johnny t- freaks out and is literally like, "Didn't you guys? Weren't you guys paying attention? We're going to die." He's like, we should just quit while we're ahead. And someone says, Johnny, wait. He's like, why? So you can try to con me into playing hero and committing suicide? Forget it. I'm through risking my neck. This is classic Johnny Storm storms off, but the writers don't have any idea why 101 because it just doesn't make much sense, really. I mean, the next scene sort of does. You see him smiling at at his egg and Elijah's like, what are you doing in here? And he's like, I have nothing to hide from. If Ben and Sue don't like my decision, too bad. I have other responsibilities to consider while looking at the egg. And she's like, don't you dare use me or the baby for an excuse. If you won't want to admit the truth to your friends, at least admit it to yourself. And he's like, fine. Okay, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of dying after what happened to seeing Reed die. I'm afraid that I'm going to die and that none of this is a game. And I'm realizing that. Not necessarily a bad character beat. But then the rest of the scene gets mangled with Elijah being like, the time has truly come for you to quit. Do it. But only if that is what you desire. And he's like, I don't I don't know what I want anymore. And she's like, then you'd better make up your mind and quickly, which is like, what? Why? I don't. Huh? 
Like, again, it's one of those scenes where I just don't understand. Understand how the words get strung along, but it literally, again, feels like this is where the scene ends with a dramatic point, and this is the best that Tom DeFalco could think of while staring at the pictures. So... If anyway, Reed, uh, Ben seems to have lost his uh, helmet. Like the helmet is now a no go. Oh, it's, it's permanently gone. And also, can we talk about the fact that his permanently scarred face, the scar is now entirely different. Yeah, and basically just looks like a slightly lumpier version of his regular face. Yeah, I got gotta say it is it is a dull decision. I like the bucket more. I have to say, but. Bye-bye, Bucket. Um, I feel like there's a whole thing where they do, where they're like, okay, Johnny shows up. They're like, okay, we're all going to do this. You know, this is personal. This is family. Us. And Scott Lang hanging around in the background. Like, Scott Lang is just a real creeper in this. Like, he's like, hey, I'm here to help you out, Mrs. Richards. She's like, that's not necessary. He's like, no, no, it really is. I've I've been thinking about it, and if there's a chance I can slip and fall into this, I really want to make that happen. And so they all zap off, and the watcher's like, "Wait, he's wait, a creep. what? Wait, what? I think we all just needed a minute to uh, appreciate <laughs> appreciate is not the right word. Slip and fall into this, <laughs> which I." One nights if you feel the need to pause and go and take a shower, I, I will you. <laughs> oh, wow. They go back in time. They use the time... The time, time platform, platform. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to follow. You, said, you sounded so bored by the time platform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time platform, huh? What are you, you going to do? And there they are. They're back in the past. And there's Reed. And Reed's like, hi, got a pipe. Got my white coat. Hey, how are you doing, Susan? Is that you? And then, to the surprise of literally no human being on the fucking planet, yeah. they then meet the old school Fantastic Four, Dan, 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 Cliffhanger. Yeah. But I still don't understand how this is working. They're like, let's hop in the time machine. We've gone somewhere in time. Where are we? Who's that <laughs> guy? Why are Wait, they there? There's <laughs> It's like Scott Lang didn't really fix that time machine because when they went back in time, they also traveled back before they had the thoughts that they had when they stepped in the machine. It's all so moronic. Anyway... Issue 388, which we've really got to get through, is Deadly as the Dark Raider, Tom DeFalco plot, Paul Ryan pictures, and the strangely named Mike Lackey at writing the script. I have to say, when you hear someone with the last name of Lackey, like, Graham, did you research this person? Is this, like, actually a person, or is this, as I suspect, no, it, it, a No, it totally is a person. Really? And I want to say he's done, like, other Marvel things. See? This is why I was not paying attention to Marvel in the 90s. You know what? I, I just looked up Mike Lackey, and fascinatingly enough, the first thing that came up is an IMDb credit for someone who was the makeup artist on I Was a Teenage Zombie. Wow. He shows up quite a bit. Okay. There we go. I apologize, Mike Lackey, because apparently you are not a pseudonym. Uh, Did you think it was like it was Ralph Macchio having to write? Maybe. He uh, he seemed to do quite a. That's why I recognize him. He did a bunch of Fantastic Four Unplugged and like Spider-Man spinoffy things. Oh, okay. So kind of the he's kind of like a he's 90s like 1990s villain dude. Okay, got it. 
All right. Well, my apologies, Mike. Anyway, Dark Raider, who was he called Dark Raider back when he wore the same outfit? Is he not called the, uh, it's the, the something man, the impossible man? The impossible man? man? Yeah. No, no. Isn't the impossible man the green guy from pop up? Yeah, exactly. So who's the um, other? It's the something man, right? He pops no, up and like, with I. yeah, yeah. Right. And it, it was like the immortal uh, man. Maybe it's it's originally um in the first time he appears it's it's Sue and Johnny's dad the, the Invincible Man. Man. Yep, there we go. Both of us have Google Foo on the same speed. Um, yep. yeah, but now he's called the Dark Raider inexplicably. I may be misremembering. I'm fairly sure this is not any relation to the previous Invincible Man. Yes. But he's just using the costume. Because, again, of course he's using the costume. Deadly is the Dark Raider is the name of the comic, which would suggest that the Dark Raider plays, you know, an important part in this comic. Mm-hmm. Joke's on you, losers. Because <laughs> he doesn't. This this is not a good comic. I mean, that's true, been true for all of these. But if there has been some cohesion in the creative team of Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan. That's gone with this issue. Mike mm-hmm. Lackey's script is is professional, does the job, but it, the comic feels weirdly disconnected. Yeah. No, it does, because there's weirdly enough, we have we have a strange situation. Admittedly, this is one of those comics that I wish I could read twice, but the whole point is that uh, Sue pops up and, you know, after the, at first the original FF are subdued uh, in part by Reed and Sue explains, we're from the future or a possible future and we're on the trail of a dangerous individual. And there's part of me that's sort of like, is that what's going on? Like I literally, then meanwhile, Franklin shows up, they're back in time, but they're all acting as if this is like, the present situation like they all have to go back and i don't even know why franklin's here last time we saw him he's also supposed to be looking for his dad but then he also goes back like as like a oh this is a cheat i'll just go back in time and uh essentially one of the things i think is kind of interesting is we get a scene of the ff fighting the ff which again just to me seems like the kind of flag that is being waved uh, after Engelhart did so so dramatically with the idea that um, <laughs> at a subconscious level the the person writing the FF book is aware that the FF are always going to be overshadowed by their previous incarnations and all you can really do is dramatize that conflict by having them slug each other one out but well, interestingly what, enough what's uh, crazy is also this is the second time we've seen an FF versus FF fight it's yes, in, in DeFalco. DeFalco and, yes, yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, yeah, just... which is very strange. In fact, DeFalco, I think, figures that he's twist pulling a twist on it, which is that uh, one of the things that the uh, Ant-Man, when Ant-Man sees this going on, he sends out a call to help. Because one thing, when you see the FF fighting each other, you're like, what's going to stop these guys? Oh, I know, a bunch of fucking ants. Meanwhile, hey, you the ants are like... ants show up. Like, they, right? they, do fuck with, they do fuck with men. Well, there you go. It's true. It's, it's kind of amazing. Anyway, uh, the ants pick it up, and so does the original Ant-Man, 
uh, who's uh, Hank Pym hanging out with Janet and is like, um, I've stumbled on a distress call from Ant-Man? Okay, the only thing that I can do is basically summon all the rest of the Avengers. So this is very much the Avengers from, say, God, probably Avengers issue three, right? Since it's... Yeah, because it's, it's, it's before Captain America, but there's no Hulk. Yep. So yeah, it's got to yeah. be like issue two or three. Yeah. So issue three of level of the Avengers all fly in. So after you get, um, you know, the FF punching on everyone and a scene with new non-malice Sue and Franklin where she's like, Franklin, at last we found you. Come home with us. Let us help you. We can save you from malice. And he's like, I'd like that, mom. But what is it, son? Tell me, please. You can tell me anything. I love you, which is kind of a great moment after all this. Like, I don't believe you're really my son. And she's like, he's like, all right, I'll do it. I'll come back home with you. And then Malice basically shows up and says, bullshit. And then Franklin freaks out and starts like, you can't control me. You can't make me do anything. Uh, so so you throw Franklin into the mix, then the Dark Raider into the mix. You've got the FF and you've got the Avengers. And in probably the best part of the issue, like the, uh, the ants from Ant-Man do indeed end up crawling up uh, the original Ben Grimm's tights. And he's... Like, what a revolting development this is. Um, and yet it's still, even though it's amazing how much it's classic, classic FF, and yet it doesn't ring like that moment. Like, it's weirdly even lampshaded by the fact that this is the Ben Grimm from the current timeline, which is to say the past and not the Ben Grimm of... I guess I shouldn't have said the current timeline. I guess I should have said this <laughs> alternate timeline, Ben Grimm. I'm like, man, I suck at relative time frames so badly. So very fucking badly. Anyway, the Dark Raider shows up and is throwing shit well, around and basically no fact, one really seems to care. Can we talk about yeah. the fact that the Dark Raider shows up? And as we've said, like someone has shown up in this costume twice before in Fantastic Four history. And yep. no one from the contemporary Fantastic Four says this. That is true. Everyone is treating it as if this is a, is like a thing. But yeah, at no point does Reed go, what? This is like the character, you know, the thing that uh, as I, well, actually Reed wouldn't think that because it hasn't happened there. No, but like, but why, Sue, why Sue and the rest going, of the team doesn't think. Right. Like, are you my dad or are you my husband? You know, because those are both characters close to me that have dressed up in this costume. And instead everyone's just like, nah, eh. And the Dark Raider's like, meh. Okay, the now Raider, I'm getting... The Dark Raider also says that he showed up because he is, quote, a supremely powerful being devoted to the utter destruction of the one called Mr. Fantastic. Yeah. Never says why. Just yep. says, like, I've shown up here to kill Reed. And, mm -hmm. spoilers, then kills Reed. Yeah, and, and Sue. Sue. Yep. And then, like, fucks off. And do you know who else fucks off? Also, the Fantastic Four. <laughs> they do, which is <laughs> unbelievably awful. They, like, I mean... literally, as the as the the past Fantastic Four are grieving, and the Avengers are like, "This is tragic. It's terrible." First, Franklin is like, "I've got to get out of here. This is a really heavy scene." And then <laughs> the Fantastic Four from like our timeline are like, "Well, this is an alternate reality. I guess we we should we should get going. This isn't gonna help us." And just leave. Right. And that's yeah. the end of the issue. Seriously. Seriously. 
what kind of bullshit? Oh, except then it ends with the Watcher being like, oh. With the Watcher, he's like, oh, my, like, what have I just watched? Like, you didn't tell me this was a fucking, like, what if story. I thought well, I was basically, yeah. He's, he's kind of like, okay, this watching thing sucks so bad, maybe I really do have to act. Which is kind of interesting. It's kind of like, finally, the, the, the Watcher... Like, I guess the meta of it really is intent, right? This is this is actually a comic that is so bad, even the Watcher's like, I can't do this anymore. So Exactly. Look, I've, look, I've just got to fucking step in. This is just embarrassing, he says. Just wait, when the Watcher does step in, it gets even more embarrassing. Oh my god. Please tell me that the FF, like, the, 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 the Fantastic Four time shitters is like a continuing like story thing like this goes on for like another six issues where they go into various alternate universes and fuck things up and then be like oh well sucks it to be them time to go on <laughs> let's let's go home you guys i wish i could i genuinely wish i could the most interesting thing about this issue is the next page which is mm-hmm. just like to jack thanks for the, for the memories and it's essentially just like cutouts of of various pieces of, of kirby fantastic four art yeah and there's nothing else in the issue to say anything about. Oh no, wait, there is. There's a bullpen bill. There is. There's a bullpen yeah, bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, the I, bill I originally looked at this in the um, Marvel Unlimited, mm. which has the the and, tribute, but doesn't have the bill. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of strange, right? Yeah, that and again has a little 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 bit of the on top of the well. The FF basically are dead, and then you get the follow-up page with the shock twist ending. The Jack Kirby is also dead, you know. Right. So it's super weird. It's, it's like genuinely like, Whoa. wait, <laughs> what's his name, Jack? <laughs> well, kinda. I mean, you know, that's kind of the thing. It kind of is the meta of it, like. You, I don't think that this was the meta that was intended by anyone, and yet it's the meta that we get. Like, 20-some-odd years later, how can you not come to the conclusion that all signs are pointing to Jack Kirby's dead, Reed Richards are dead, they're basically the same person, and you find out in this issue where the FF are dead. So, in case you're wondering, everyone's dead. You know? And yet, it, and yet everything's still going to keep going. And part of me is like... I have to say that is a 100% uh, accurate way to view Marvel Comics in 1994, right? Can you we know? just talk so. about, like, these issues are so devoid of inspiration and fun and anything good. And I, I, that's, that's a once melodramatic and also completely honest. Like, yeah. these are so workmanlike and so dull Mm -hmm. that it is amazing that marvel could be like yeah this is this is a perfectly fine comic to put out never mind this is the comic that we are still going to have on the cover the world's greatest comic magazine well i think that's it i mean there there is something strange like even the the fondness like i it makes me wonder, like, I feel like when DeFalco starts in on the FF with this, he has 
an agenda. And the agenda is very much like, I'm going to return the FF to quote unquote greatness. And maybe it's just the holy shit, I got to do anything and everything. Like if it, to keep this comic being published, if I have to slaughter a different member of the Fantastic Four, every issue, even if I'm throwing them into different dimensions to make that happen, like that's what I'm going to do. Like, I don't know if it's that, but it's, it's, it is, it's, I think you really put your finger on it, Graham. It's joyless. It's really joyless at a level that even when you get cover band FF, you know, like those books, when you read them all in a continuum, they don't seem that great, but I kind of see, I see what you're saying it from the beginning of this episode. It seems almost impossible that anyone could pick up these comics as their first FF comics and fall in love with the team because well, but also it does not seem so joyless. Is, not think that like there's a better version of this out there. Well, sure. I, I, I mean, better or not better. I just think that it's kind of this thing of what this FF would represent. Like I can, I mean, you know, I let's put it, this is as much a, is very much a creation of the times. This is this is Marvel Comics in the 90s and Marvel Comics in the 90s is kind of this weird frothing um cauldron of old school fans who've been following these characters along for ever and a hot new soup of like sports card collectors and new readers slash investors and and it just you know so there is a thing of like i'm like maybe this would work for someone in that idea of like when you pick anyone who's again picked up the x-men at this time which is similarly mired in um obtuseness and incomprehensibility and fatalism and yet at the same time it seems like the most exciting thing yes. ever and i yes. just can't see how that i can see how you can still have that with them and i like you said i cannot imagine how someone could have that here because it just doesn't feel again this idea that you know this is the big highlight uh you know of the run is it's the ff fighting the FF again and more or less indirectly causing the death of the FF. Like that idea that the Fantastic Four are trapped on this Mobius loop of never being able to come out from the, under their own shadow as like, you know, first subtext and then just flat out fucking text. It's great. It's a, uh, it's, I, right, it's great. Who, who well, see, doesn't love it? it. No, but it, it's, right. there's, there is something, I mean, just genuinely exhausting about this comic. And mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think of a non-snarky way of saying this, but what do you think it was like working on this comic? Because there's nothing about this comic that makes it seem like DeFalco or Ryan are actually enjoying the comic. Well, yeah, right? It it. It's it kind of seems like a slog. I mean, I think I have not been especially generous to Paul Ryan throughout this long run. And I feel like I think what I find fascinating is the idea that he might be 
in a very dim way, really excited about this because there are bits and pieces of this that are, you know, that that essentially Ben Grimm can't bear to be in the room with Ben Grimm, you know, for more than five minutes without them more or less coming to blows. Uh, and a little bit of the, you know, the human torches trying to out torch each other, you know, and is like it's all done. I can't tell to what extent it's actually done as lamely as it feels, you know, mm. um, or if Ryan is really into it, like he's really like, oh, this is great. I'm really getting to do the FF versus the FF in a way that really plays out kind of the classic shtick of, you know, Ben can't resist being, a, you know, an obnoxious dick to himself and like Johnny can't, you know, seem to hold off from trying to top each other. Like, Oh, this is kind of like, I can't tell if it's, if it's someone who thinks that they're clever doing something so rote and so dull that like even the, the sequence where Ben gets his pants and where he gets ants in his pants, right? Like that sequence is told in a way that is, you know, <laughs> the glib way to say it is not just anti-Kirby, but anti-life. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's just, it's just told wow. in like, the dullest way possible. You know, it's, it's hard not to, not to be underwhelmed by everything that's happening. And again, I also think that in a way where we're not being very clear or cohesive, uh, again, maybe it's because Ryan is no longer quote unquote plotting, but his his inability to have his moments land because I think of poor storytelling choices seems super compounded here. So yeah. it has to be said in all of these issues, I, there's the point where I think that Ryan's art has the most life to it and actually lands. It's actually all the way back in 382, and this is going to sound sarcastic, and it's not. It's when FF are surprised by having fruit thrown at them in Latveria. Yes. I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you that mean. That is somehow the most dynamic part of these seven issues. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because I, I I honestly think because it is actually the the one time, the only time where he figures where the pacing actually meets the event. Like if you have the FF being pelted with garbage by Latvarians and them retreating you want to tell that in five panels and he and he does it <laughs> it's so sad right it really is, it really is yeah really no sad. it is the most memorable page to me as well so Ugh. next yep. time on the baxter building whatnots we're going to be covering 389 through 396 i'm going to say that again so that jeff can write it down yes 389 yeah. through 396 wow Okay. Really close to the end, Jeff. Yeah, I can't even believe it, Graham. Okay. Well, I'm writing this down. I'm sure all the whatnots are too and are um, quote-unquote eagerly <laughs> catching up. How, how could you not eagerly read these comics after how much we clearly loved them? See, it is it is one of those things where it's like we've really sort of entered just as 
the FF seem to have entered their own death spiral. It's almost like we have too, you know, it's, because... That's the genuinely sad thing about um, ending the Baxter building when we're ending the Baxter building, which is we don't go out in a high note. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, we really don't. The, the, the book does enter a death spiral. And so there's no, like, you know, oh, man, I can't believe we got to end on this issue. It'll be... Sure, Carlos Pacheco came in for two issues of art at the end, and that's better than Paul Ryan, but still. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's... Anyway, so that's going to be a month from now, approximately. Yes, in the meantime, this is when I tell you that you can uh, check out the Wait What Instagram. Instagram.com forward slash Wait What Pod. You can check out the Wait What Tumblr. Uh, wait what pods.tumblr.com <laughs> I suddenly forgot you can check out the twitter at wait what podcast you can check out Jeff's twitter at lazy bastard at l-a-z-y-b-a-s-t-i-d you can check out my twitter at graham m at g-r-a-e-m-e-m and Baxter Building exists through the kindness of people who were once strangers but are now dear dear friends you people Jeff, tell people what they've won with Patreon. Yes, indeed. So, everyone, you guys are the best. And uh, we love you, all of our listeners. We're grateful to all of you for continuing to um, support us with your hard-earned ear dollars uh, by, you know, continuing to listen to us. Uh, we're also super grateful to the people of, uh, of Patreon who not only throw in ear dollars, but valuable cash dollars as well. Uh, that's a very little extra special perk, which we appreciate. And um, please don't hate those people just because they have indirectly caused <laughs> this <laughs> podcast, <laughs> the Baxter Building. <laughs> it's not their fault. <laughs> the only person who really knew what we were getting into, apart from Nathaniel Richards, is Graham McMillan, and he still went ahead and did it anyway. So, uh, you know. I, I want to add to my own misery by saying someone asked, and I can't remember if they asked on Patreon or asked in one of the comments, if I'm going to do a Baxter bungalow for the Fantastic Four Unlimited issues. Oh, yeah. I, I want to say Matthew Murray might have done that. Oh, really? I am. I've read some of them. They are. They're so bad that they make these issues look good. Really? Oh boy, yes. Um, I'm probably gonna do it after the Nets Baxter building. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at some point in the next like month or two. So mm-hmm. Patreon people, because that's the deal. Patreon people get the Baxter Bungalow episodes uh, early. Like mm-hmm. they they will show up in the main feed eventually, but Patreon people, you will get a Baxter Bungalow episode, or perhaps two. <laughs> I have to say, we've been talking for a long time. Graham wants to wrap this up as well as he should because he's editing it. But I have to tell you, Graham, you say it so quickly, it sounds like the Baxter Bungler rather than the Baxter <laughs> Bungalow, which is awesome. <laughs> that's, that's entirely appropriate for that's for Unlimited, which is the. Which is the comic where Herb Trimpey is like, oh, I'm going to draw, like, Rob Liefeld. Oh, shit. Because I remember seeing that in one of the FF annuals, and it's insane. Yes. Oh. Yes, it is. Now, this isn't... They're not on... Are they on Unlimited? No, but they are. They are not, because, thank God. Um, Right. 
but they are in every fucking single bargain bin in the world. Oh, there we go. Okay, so right. So you're just going to make a little jaunt and buy these worthless comics and read them. I'm almost tempted to join you simply oh. because Herb oh. Trimpey drawing nope. as he it, does, it's I know. So it's, uh, it's genuinely upsetting. It's genuinely upsetting because you're like, I know you know better. Yeah. Like, as, as opposed to Liefeld, who is trying his best, you're you're purposely not trying your best. No. Yeah. Like, you're making all of these bad choices. It's a, I do remember the, the one shot from the annual, which is, like, someone jumping and, like, it's amazing. It's great. Like, some woman jumping and spreading her legs and, like, her thighs are not only bigger than her head, but, like, they're bigger than the room she's in. Like, it's kind of, it really is amazing. Like, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's the most cynical thing I think I've ever seen. Um, and considering what we just read, that's really saying something. Right? Uh, Wait, that's the thing. Yeah. Fantastic Four is, and I'm going to say this, and then we can, we can wrap it up, because you haven't even got to the end of the Patreon thing yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's true, yes. Uh Fantastic Four, I think, works when the people who are doing it are not being cynical. And we're in right. an especially cynical period of Marvel and Fantastic Four in particular right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's actually a really good point. Um, and and it's hard because it is the the challenge of you got to get someone who's cynical, but you also have to get someone. And again, maybe this is why Byrne ends up producing uh, it you know at least from a distance when you're not thinking about it like one of the all-time great FF runs is he is simultaneously respectful but also um like not a sentimentalist necessarily or if he is he's a very odd sort so he's very aware that he's got to move the ball forward and yet he still retains a lot of affection for the characters you know, um, and the concept and and has somewhere where he wants to go with it. And you kind of can't just have the cynical, oh, we're just going to totally flip every element of the of the characters in the book upside down and then back right side up and then sideways again and then to the corners. You know, it's it just this really does show how much that does not pay off. Um this is bad because I don't have a really clever segue because, as you know, I was thanking the people on Patreon and then we got interrupted and then I was like, okay, I will reserve my special shout out to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios and Emperor Saudry, Queen of the Galaxy for their continuing support of this podcast. And then we kind of got cut off and there was no natural segue. Like, but, I kept but you going got in it there. in. You got it in I right know. there. I thank God so by just having – I had to go meta. Yeah, thank God. All right. We're so... wrapping things up, people. We're going to stop. It's because yes. it's, it's gone on too long. We'll be back with the Baxter Building in a month. We're doing 389 through 396 again. We'll be back with the Wait What next week, right? Yep, that's right. Just next week. But uh, Honestly, given what has just happened in the last week of comics, who knows who will have been fired off of a Marvel or DC book in the yeah, next no week? Shit. Who can yeah, tell, yeah, yeah. right? Yep. yep. Uh, until then, yep. Jeff is the Baxter Building. You sing us out. I definitely will. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and we will see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter Building.